Matthew Beavers from Back to the Covenant. Hello, hello. Sean Griffin from Kingdom in Context. These guys really don't need much of an introduction if you've been around here. But if you are new and you have not subscribed to their channels and uh, checked out their ministries, go and do that now while we're talking. You can listen to us. Do it now. Don't wait. Uh, trust me, you don't want to miss out. These guys are always putting out powerful content that helps me out. And even if I don't agree with everything they're saying 100% of the time, I would definitely not like to debate them because they know the word really well. And um, it's been a blessing learning from them. So I'll go ahead and uh, let them introduce themselves real quick, starting with Matthew Beavers. We just got to hang out the other day doing the film project. Yeah, so go ahead, Matt. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know what to say, so Matthew from Back to the Covenant, and I'm blessed to be part of this panel, and I just, I just want to highlight, I know it's my just introduction, but <clears throat> I guess I could, you want me to share, like, what I do on my channel, like, my content? Yeah, heck yeah, anything you want okay. to share. So I'll make it real brief, because we got a lot we're going to cover, so, uh, so I, I cover a lot on my channel, I have, I mean, if you see me and Josh, and actually Sean's been on a couple times on the Truth About Cosmology series I did. So I've, just like Josh and Sean, I've done a lot of debunking of the, the heliocentric globe model. But I also teach tour observance on my channel as well. And I've covered divinity. And right now I'm doing a series on our demons and Satan real. And that's, that's been a fun topic. So I'll be just a, pl a shameless plug. <laughs> I'm yeah. having a having a stream tomorrow about fallen angels. And that's, that's another fun topic, just like this topic, but I am blessed to be part of this panel because this is a very important topic because we are defending the faith. We are defending Yeshua and we're defending the validity of the new Testament. And while doing that, we're also going to expose some of the anti-missionaries, their tactics, their straw mans, their, just what they do to try to bring people away from faith in Yeshua. So so I'll keep it brief and just pass the mic, so to speak, to Sean to let him do his thing with his intro. <laughs> well, thanks, Matthew. I'm Sean Griffin with Kingdom in Context, and uh, we love to teach scripture in context so we can magnify our Messiah and uh, remind folks that his message was about the kingdom to come. It creates peace on the earth. Resurrection happens. Change the world. This is what we wait for. It's the blessed hope, as Paul calls it in Romans 8, our yep. resurrection unto the kingdom come. And so we're excited about that message and what I think... All three of us have realized watching some of these anti-missionary arguments is that they forget part of that main message while they twist other arguments. And so mm -hmm. uh, our goal is to keep the kingdom message mm -hmm. in context because it was the message of our Messiah. So thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. Yeah, very blessed that you would take time out of your, your busy schedule. If you guys watch their work, you'll see this is, this is a, a major undertaking to get everybody you know on here at the same time because... Full-time. These guys work full-time ministry, and uh, I know they have other responsibilities outside of that, but it's a, it's a full-time job, and uh, their passion is what motivates me. I know there's many times both of them has motivated me to do more. So uh, definitely an honor and humbling to see how much they know and how much they stay humble. So it keeps me humble, too. So the, to go ahead and get started, I know a lot of people are here, and you may have never heard the term anti-missionary up until like a year and a half ago, I'd never even heard that term. And it's one of those things that I have seen challenge someone's faith and turn them away from understanding the Messiah, his actual role 
and it's it's dangerous. It's dangerous ground, mm -hmm. and it's called anti-missionary, but I will go ahead and pull up the definition that I typed up. When you look it up online, it says that it's one who opposes <laughs> religious missionaries. Sounds, you know, kind of bad there, but the main theme is they actively work to prevent other Jews and non-Jews from accepting Yeshua as the Messiah, as the beloved son. And they ask questions. They go up to random believers. I've seen videos where they'll go up to Christians who are out on the streets preaching and just throw all these things at them, all these verses out of context. And we're going to cover some of them. I don't have, we won't have time in this uh, stream to cover all of them. So I've linked a video uh, Sean has that he did on his channel. It's down there under additional resources in the description. You can go back after and watch it where he responds to these in greater depth. But, um, and I've seen it. It's a great yeah. video. So just to, yeah, spoiler alert. What you're saying. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, it has, it has some good <laughs> things because your everyday Christian isn't equipped to answer some of these questions. And a lot of the reasons are they have a false version of who the Messiah is. They kind of have the, the Roman version mixed with truth. And so it's it's really hard for them to, to debate this topic. And so it, it takes a lot of understanding of the Old Testament and some of the ways they twist. So, and, you got, uh, and you have to understand the Torah, too. Just want to throw that in there. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. And I think that's why it's good to have people like Sean and Matt on to have backgrounds and understanding the, the Old Testament. And uh, like somebody said, I think it was your friend, our, your friend uh, Daniel, Sean, that shared a post that said, when Paul said, study to show thyself approved, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They didn't have yep. the New Testament. And that's something <laughs> I never really thought of it that way until I saw that post. And I was like, that's a really good point. And a lot of modern day people that I've talked to that are, you know, Christians and they have a good heart, but they're like, we don't need the Old Testament. We don't need to look at it. We have this is our chapter. Uh, we just have the New Testament. That's really all we need. And uh, that's I think that's a damaging. It damaged a lot of my growth for years. and I didn't even know it that I wouldn't go back until the truth about creation came along. And so uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I don't want to babble on too much. It's not like I said, Babylon, Babylon. Yeah. Josh, and, uh, <laughs> I never heard Jesus quote from I never heard Jesus quote from the book of Romans or Galatians or First Timothy or even Luke or Mark. He always quoted yeah. from the law of the prophets because that's all they had to understand the scripture. And so it's helpful to us when we know it too. Yeah. And they knew it really well. They didn't have the numbers and verses like we do. Oh, they had verses, mm -hmm. but they didn't have them numbered and they had to remember it as a whole. And so that's really cool to see that they they knew the entire the entirety of the text when they would talk about it. Most of uh, most of them did. And so um, before we get started, I, I forgot I had this up here. I came across this the other day and it's a reminder to all of us people in the comments. If you see us saying something you don't agree with, uh, which you probably are, uh, take this to heart. This has helped me uh, tremendously with people. And I didn't even um, have this verse memorized or anything. I just came across it and thought, wow, this is powerful. This is a lot of the ways that the father has shown me to operate. And it's right there in the word. And it says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Mm. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. We're going to be trying to do that today. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the truth and, and escape the mm. truth. And escape from the devil's <laughs> trap. <laughs> the wrong line there. Um, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. 
and they don't realize it. When people are held captive by the enemies, a lot of times they don't realize it. They just know that they're angry at the things you're saying. And so humble yourselves. If we say something you don't agree with, let the Holy Spirit guide you. I'm not saying to put your trust in us whatsoever, but that's a good way to operate in the comments with kindness and yep. love and plant seeds. Everyone's on a different track than what, um, than what you are. So make sure you're just planting seeds and doing it in a way that is kind. So without further ado, here's the five questions we're going to be looking at. Um, the first one is that there is no other Savior but the Most High, and we're going to look deep into that because that was a tough one. That was a tough one for me when they were debating me with that one. Um, no man shall die for another. There were no prophecies of Yeshua. Kind of hard to believe, but that's what they say. Uh, number four, Yahuwah never required a human sacrifice. And number five, no, I'm not saying that's a lie. And number five, there was no one doing the miracles like Yeshua did in the Old Testament, running around doing the exact same things. We're going to look at all of these questions today. So uh, can I jump in and say something, Josh, for you? Yeah, go, go ahead. Next so I just want to say that. <clears throat> so our apologetics is coming from a Torah observant perspective. We're not coming from the perspective that. And this is not a jab at Christians, but mainstream Christianity teaches that the law is done away with and they teach that the Messiah taught that as well. So we're our apologetics. We're not coming from that that frame of reference, so to speak. So we're coming from we're going to look at the Torah. That's the foundation. Yahshua taught the Torah and he walked out the Torah perfectly because he was without sin. So so when we're testing these the apologetics of these anti missionaries, they some of their tactics is they say, well, the Messiah taught the, or Christians teach that the law's unawaveless, so therefore the Messiah taught that too. That's that's not the place we're coming from. So I think that needs to be stated, mm -hmm. and Sean can probably piggyback and take it a little deeper than what I share. But we we had to keep that in mind moving forward in all the scriptures mm -hmm. that we share, new New and Old Testament. I agree. Yes. No, I think you said it well. Yeah, we're yeah. not uh, we're not using bad uh, Catholic and Protestant arguments to address. Um, Old Testament claims, yeah, like like or Trinity use the like Old that. Testament, yeah, yep. yeah, because that that really does uh, obfuscate the truth of the purpose the Messiah was sent and him being an agent yep. of the Father and being an actual prophet, uh, because they the Trinity doctrine supersedes all that and just makes him God in the flesh or equivalent to the Father as as a secondary God, and that's just uh, the the ancient Hebrews didn't believe that they didn't teach nope. that they wouldn't have accepted that. So what they did accept, which is why so many people came to faith and belief while Yeshua preached, was that he was a prophet sent by Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And that's what they understood. That's what they accepted. And specifically, this prophet, according to previous prophets before Yeshua, uh, declared that the Messiah would be a prophet who would become a high priest and ruler over Israel and over other nations. So um, the first century Hebrews, the first century Israelites in the land of Judea, that was their mental perspective, their theological perspective. And that's the one I think would definitely help us going forward. Yeah. And so uh, well said. This is Did this you is want us to address number one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get to that one. There was no other savior beside me or beside the father, beside the father. And that one was one that was tough for me because I believe that he's the he's the ultimate savior. And they try to say this and just expect people to go right away and battle this question. But you have to understand, like Sean and Matt are saying, the Messiah's role and the role of saviors in the past. There were other people that were called savior. 
and the Father would send <clears throat> other saviors. I'll let you guys, you guys go ahead and yeah. share anything you have to say on this, but I've just you, got some verses up for you guys to see. Yeah, do you have the one in Judges 3 where it has no. Ehud? Ehud? Because that's another one that, that was big for me because it, it specifically said the Father... Let's see. Let me. I got a slide on. Let me see real quick so I find it. Good call, Matthew. That was the one I was going to ask about too. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no disrespect, Josh, to the verses you have compiled. These are great too. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're but, good. Uh, yeah, let me read it real quick. I got it on mine since you have yours up. It says Judges three fifteen. And when the children of Israel cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh raised up a savior for them, Ehud, son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man impended in his right hand, and by him the children of Israel sent a present to Eglon, sovereign of Moab. So here it says the father raised up a savior. So, hey, there it is. You put it up. Man, you're nice. quick, dude. <laughs> yeah, see, I knew you guys would be prepared. That's why I compiled a few and I brought you guys on to to fight this fight. I think you had mm -hmm. all of them except Judge 3 that I have on my slide. So <laughs> it's very comparable. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the Holy Spirit at work is uh, guiding us in this. So yeah, this is this is this is powerful because you see time and time again the father sending people, using people to be deliverers to to help save his people. And uh, I was watching a video, and I think it was John Lawson was talking about this, and he said it's kind of like when you have that insurance, and they send somebody to tow your car. Ultimately, it was the the owner of that tow company or whatever that sent that 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 was the savior. Yeah. You know, they're sending you a way out. Okay. Sending you a savior. So many, many times you see that these verses are up here for you guys to keep when somebody says there's no other savior. I agree. The father is the ultimate savior, but he sent us his son, an example to live by. And it's what's saving so many of us. It's showing us how to pray. It's showing us how to live our daily lives. And the beloved son said, I only do what I see my father doing. And so what did he do? He was going around doing these things that brought people back from the dead, that opened the blinded eyes. And he, he was going around fighting the lies against his father and against his own image many, many times. And so it was, it's, it's not the only time we see someone being referred to as a savior. It, it would be wrong to say that Jesus is the only savior because he is, he is one of many that's, that's listed and the father being the ultimate. You guys got yeah, anything there, to add to that? There is a different way you can view it with not just the word savior, because you can look at mm -hmm. certain people like Moses. He he helped ancient Deliver. Israel with the Red Sea and all that. Joseph, when he was appointed second over pretty much all of Egypt, mm -hmm. he was a savior to Israel and actually a lot of other nations too, just because he... He heeded the the gift that was given inside him with the seven, the seven cow dream of Pharaoh. So, not only does the Most High call call and appoint people as, as Mashiachs, but also as saviors. So, so yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, like the word here, deliverer. When you look at it, and when you're going through on Bible Hub and looking at what these words mean. It's a deliverer, somebody that's helping deliver Father's mm -hmm. people. That, that is the general conversation. Sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. I think there might be a delay, guys. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's the general conversation between Moses and Yahweh, or the angel that was sent to Yahweh to instruct him to go to Egypt and, and help bring the people up out of Egypt. Was that, that was how Yahweh was going to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of Egypt. 
Yep. And so that's Moses was called the deliverer. Mm-hmm. And it is if it's just like our Messiah, a prophet like Anna Moses, is called the deliverer for our souls from Sheol. He'll deliver us from uh he redeems us, he delivers us from death. So this is the same same connotation, just slightly different application as far as uh, a physical circumstance amongst in, in the enslavement of the, the Israelites among Egypt versus all of all of those in faith and belief in Israel that need resurrection. So one prophet sent to do one thing, the other prophet sent to do another. Yeah. Well said. Amen. <laughs> All right. So just showing you those words being used again over and over and over. And even his name means that the father is salvation. So extremely powerful there and important to understand that. Okay. Anything else for that one before we move on? Uh, let me see. I think, I, had, I think that's on the slide I had on that one. I would just hope the the reader and the listener, if anyone ever brings up the idea of Isaiah forty three ten and says there's no other, because even it's so funny, even Trinitarians bring up this verse, and yep. they'll try to use it to say, you know, look, there's one God, there's one God, and you're like, bro, Yeshua said there's one true God in John seventeen three, Paul says there's one true God in First Corinthians eight six, like yep. yes, we get it, we get it, there's but there he sends his agents to do his will. This is the you know, like when I did that debate with the rabbi and I asked him, I said, so you're saying that there is no there is no other God, even though the word God is used all throughout the Old Testament for both angels and the prophecy of, you know, Yeshua himself in Psalm 45, 6 and 7. So you're saying there's no other God, little G ruler under the authority of the almighty. So then who do you believe came down and spoke with Moses on the bush in, in Exodus chapter three? And he was like, well, it was God. I'm like, okay, so this is a rabbi telling me this, right? Oh, He's wow. like, so <laughs> you think that God came down and spoke to Moses in that bush, but then 30 chapters later, in Exodus 33, he says, no one can see my flesh. You got to hide in a rock. <laughs> which is which is it, bro? And he was just like, well, you know, hey. He just like threw his hands up. And I'm like, that's not an answer, man. You're, Context. You're, whole, yeah, this we can't just walk in contradictory theology and think that that's an argument. So Isaiah 43.10 specifically is speaking about the rebellious house of Israel worshiping false gods, which is why in, in verse 10 or verse 9, it talks about um, before any other god was formed, because he's talking about them forming idols and worshiping them. So he's yep. saying, I am Yahweh. There is no other. Before any other god was formed, I am I was alive. Like th- They're not true gods anyway. He says it over and over in Isaiah. And so this is the context that both anti-missionaries and, unfortunately, Trinitarians just seem to forget about that whole passage. Is He's addressing idolatry. And idolatry, is it, all throughout the Old Testament, was a specific practice of um, usually taking wood, stone, and then overlaying it with silver and gold or copper and forming it into the statue of something like an, an angelic being, a, a, a dragon, a mixture of creatures on the earth or something under the earth, uh, like the three-headed dog of Cerberus, um, just you know, which was the companion of Hades, so uh, which is called Nurgle in Jeremiah 35. So there's just a lot of different things. This is why in Exodus chapter 20, Yahweh says, do not make a graven image of anything in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth, because that's what the pagan nations were doing. They would take any type of creature and then make a statue out of it and overlay it with silver and gold and worship it, and they would call them gods. Mm-hmm. And so this is where yeah. Yahweh is specifically in that context addressing they're not real gods. And before any of them were ever created by the hands of men, Yahweh was already God. And he always will be God. He's the almighty God. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't have any context or any relationship <laughs> to the Messiah that he said he was going to be his servant, that he was going to send to become ruler over heaven and earth, which is also 
little G God. Like it's a title of God to be ruler over heaven and earth. So, yeah. And that's yeah, the prophecies we're going to look at. And to piggyback what Sean was saying, and it's interesting. There's between this and this topic and Trinity, Trinity are some similarities. So if you understand agency or Shiliak, it will help you understand this topic and divinity and especially disproven Trinity. So, Sorry, Josh. I think we've uh, we've activated the Trinitarian apologists in yeah. the live chat. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, it's yeah. okay. We'll answer some of these questions. <laughs> we're we're going to look at some of these. I see a lot of these, and and um, I know it invokes anger, like we were saying earlier on. There's going to be a lot of anger when we talk about things. Um, really understand that I, I didn't come to the conclusions I did about the Father and the Son without the Holy Spirit showing me this because you're we're surrounded by a lot of the wisdom of the fallen things that have been passed on from ancient religions in Babylon all the way to Rome to and then back into Christianity. And so that's why they need creeds and all the things that they have. And um, the pre-existence of the beloved son is something we'll talk about in the uh, prophecies. And we'll look at some things in Enoch as well that uh, bring clarity that the enemy has used to uh, create confusion amongst all of us. And it's really, it makes it hard for us to fellowship with people because of the, of the divide that happens. And so, yep. although we are here defending Yeshua and that makes a lot of people happy, our understanding and belief in who he is, is a lot is, has changed. And it hasn't always been that way. I think Sean, you used to believe differently on this and humbled yourself and have been able to come out of that. So you have a, a unique perspective. If I'm not mistaken, I thought that was, I'm not sure if that was the case. Yeah, I used to make, uh, I used to make all the metaphoric apologies and arguments for Trinitarianism when I was younger in my faith and didn't look for context in the scriptures and didn't cross-reference scriptures and look up the definitions of words. I used to try to give analogies like, oh, the Trinity is explained like a computer, right? You get your monitor, you got the, the towers, the father, that's where the information comes from. Jesus is the monitor that displays it. And the cord that connects it to the wall is the Holy Spirit. That's how you get the power, right? So I used to come up with all these little metaphors, not these are not scriptures. And this is why every time you ask a Trinitarian to defend himself, he either takes a verse out of context that's refuted by another, his interpretation is refuted by another scripture that's plainly yep. stated, or he has to use a metaphoric description that's not in scripture at all. Count the, count the ones you've heard, the egg description, the computer description. We've heard, I've heard there's someone in the content in the chat right now talking about the prism description about light filtering through a prism. Mm -hmm. Like it's always non scripture that has to be used to define this theology because mm -hmm. It's not in scripture. It's refuted like in hundreds of verses that there's a hierarchy and a relationship between the father and the son. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, YouTube algorithm favors Trinitarian content. And I think that's where a lot of modern anti-missionaries see arguments trying to refute anti-missionary arguments. They see pro-Trinitarian arguments trying to do that with non-scriptural arguments. And it really just inflames and emboldens the anti-missionaries, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um so that's, but I, I won't go too far on that. I'll, we can move on. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done an entire video on that where I, I covered it because a lot of people ask, what do you, who do you see the Messiah as? If he's not the most high, who do you see him as? And so I've got a video. It's called How Rome Hid the Father and the Son. And mm. it's the best way to do it because that spirit yep. of the Antichrist is those that it says in the, in the Bible that deny the Father and the Son. The anti-missionaries, they deny the son. So it groups them into that equation, in my opinion. Um, but the ultimately denying of the father and the son, there's only one really good way to do that. Sneak, if you're trying to be sneaky like the enemy, and it's to merge them and cause confusion 
because you see all the time throughout Babylon, and, and Sean does a real good series on Babylon, uh, that's what they had. They had these triad deities, these trinities that they created. And so now the New Agers will say, oh, well, Jesus is a lie. He's based on all these old New Age trinities, when in reality, mm -mm. they've hijacked his image as, a, as the beloved son. And there's going to be a time where Yeshua himself says that he has, he says more than once that he has a God. He says it more than once mm -hmm. that he has a God. Yep. And that someday he's going to write the name of his father on us as well as his new name. Okay. So those two different names there are going to be written on us. If it was all one name, he wouldn't have to write twice. He's not going to waste his time signing. Here I am. It's me. Here I am. It's me. Yeah. It's two different names. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something that will be, it'll be clarified in the end. We're all going to know. Um, but we are trying to clear up some of the confusion before we get there, because we're going to be there soon. I feel like, um, so we got to be humble. If you're, if you're, this is your first time hearing uh, this side, really humble yourself and uh, pray about it. That's the only time I've seen people come out of that. If they say, I was angry, I, I insulted you, but I went away and I prayed sincerely. And then the Holy Spirit showed me this. And then it led me to investigate, you know, the creeds or whatever it is they've looked into. Okay. So pray about it. Don't take our word on it. And, uh, We'll dive into question number two or statement number two they have is that no man shall die for another. And they quote, they're usually quoting Ezekiel 18, chapter 20, I believe. Mm -hmm. And yep. so uh, this is the chapter here. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And so they say, you see there, this, the uh, son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father the son. And so that automatically does away with Yeshua being the Messiah because he died for our iniquity. What do, do you, you have the Do you have that? the context? Do you have the context at the beginning of the chapter on the next slide? Ah, oh, let me see if I do. Oops, no, this is the one I didn't. I didn't have a chance to compile slides for. Let me see if I can pull up. All right, if you want to pull mine up, I got like four slides well, this on is, this topic. Well, the, even even this passage here in Ezekiel eighteen, the, the context of this is way past the established context of covenant Israel, which is in the days of Ezekiel, there was priests inside the temple in Jerusalem that fulfilled the rest of this process. So mm -hmm. the process that's being outlined here, this one of repentance and forgiveness, yep. is that if he you know, turns from his sins, that's repentance, and does all my statutes and does which is lawful and right, that's walking in the commandments, um, that means naturally he would submit himself to Yahweh three times a year. He would go confess his sins to the priests of the temple, and they would create atonement for him through various circumstances depending on the nature of the sin. All this is outlined in Leviticus. This is the, the practical mechanism by which after a person repents, their sins are atoned for so that he can be in right standing with the Father and then get the eternal life that's promised at the end of verse 21. So for an anti-missionary to look at a, a statement like this and say, see, Yeshua doesn't fulfill this because you can't die for the sins of another. You're like, well, wait a minute now. Why did it say Yeshua was dying for? Not just to die and then magically the process happens, skipping skipping this whole process outlined in Leviticus. It says Yeshua was designed to become a priest. He serves in the temple in heaven. It's Psalm 110, 1 through 4, Zechariah 11, 10, 11 15, excuse me, Zechariah 6, 11 through 15. 
Um, the offices between them will have peace, both the rulership and the priesthood. That's what's embodied with the servant of Yeshua, as well as in Isaiah 53, 10 and, and 12. He's literally the, the servant who justifies and bears the sins of the people. So there's a verse right here in, Levit in Exodus 28, which is the, uh, the foundational context to this process that Ezekiel is mentioning here of repentance. And it's just right here. And no, in this process, no one, one man does not die for this, for the other person in Exodus 28 to receive repentance. It's a process outlined here. Verse 29, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he shall bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of judgment as a continual reminder before the Lord. Just as at the beginning of Ezekiel 18 there, it says you cannot bear the iniquity of the, of the other one. One person can't bear the iniquity of the other one as in dying for him. Yep. No, that's not the way that goes. You don't sacrifice humans to co to cover and atone for sin. According for Yahweh, you have a priest go in with this, an ordained priest an ordained temple with a specific breastpiece over him. And in verse 30, the place, the Urim and the Thummim, the breastpiece of judgment, so that they will also be over Aaron's heart whenever he comes before the Lord. Aaron will continually carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord. So this is the process by which he would go in and mediate on behalf of rebellious or sinful Israel, who is repenting and asking for forgiveness. And then that's how you actually bear the sins in Israel. You don't do it by someone dying for another one. And so Yeshua, he sacrificed his life, went through the cross to get resurrected, so then he could be anointed our high priest and serve in the heavenly temple to do this job that's outlined with Aaron right here. So this is, you know, I guess it's a conflation of two things, Josh. It's a conflation. When they argue Ezekiel 18, it's a conflation of they're forgetting the priesthood, mm -hmm. which is notorious, by the way, something that Jude modern day Judaism does. I've actually tried to cover this on my channel. I even have a quote. I, I should have brought it with me. I apologize. But I even have a quote from a first century rabbi. Who's, it's part of the Talmud, and he said, and they were walking and looking at the destroyed the destroyed temple that the Romans had destroyed in AD seventy, and this was like a year or two after that, and they were looking at the remains of the destroyed temple, and one of these gentlemen asked this rabbi he's walking with, "How do we atone for our sins if the temple's destroyed?" And the rabbi told him, "Don't worry about that; just do good works, and that will atone for your sins." Instead of saying, oh, Yahweh already figured that out for us. He sent us a prophet who was to become a high priest, who resurrected and ascended to the temple above. He's actively ministering on your behalf when you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9. But they ignored Jesus, so they just went with, oh, you just need to good, good works will atone for your sins. And they therefore ignore the entire process outlined in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers about a priest in the temple. And so this is how they're conflating their own history, their own theology, and then they conflate the modern Christian argument of, well, Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins. Well, the cross was a mechanism to get to the high priest position to atone for your sins. And that the cross was a sacrifice, sure, but it's not a literal, that was not the literal act that atoned for your sins. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to become a priest afterwards. So like he had to become a priest afterwards to atone for your sin in the heavenly temple above, because that's the process outlined in the Torah. Now, yeah. Very well said. Uh, man, and, you want to you want to pull my slides up because I have a couple slides on. I will say that this this one is this argument is really easy to refute if you look at context and you look at other prophecy. So so I have one right here. So so they quote verse twenty, but if you look at the beginning of the chapter, it reads like this: in verse two and four. What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, "The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are blunted." As I live, declares the Master Yahweh, 
you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. See, all beings are mine. The being of the Father as well as the being of the Son is mine. The being that is sinning shall die. And if you cross-reference Jeremiah 31, 29, you see very similar language. It's almost like it's a copy and paste. Yep. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are blunted. Almost exactly what it says in verse 2 of Ezekiel 18. But each one shall die for his own crookedness. Whoever eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be blunted. So, so that passage in Jeremiah 31 is, is right before where he starts talking about prophecy of the new covenant coming into play. So, so here is a direct quote, pretty much similar language. So it shows that Ezekiel 18 is prophetic, mm -hmm. including, including verse 20. So for them to pull that out of context, say, oh, see... Let's apply that to Yeshua. No, no, no. Not so fast. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's obviously future. It's a future prophetic context here. And and also it, it makes me think like, because a lot of those people says they're going to live. They're not going to die. Well, all the, a lot of the people that sinned back then, they're dead now. There's nobody from back then that's still alive because they were being righteous. It, to me, it feels like it could be talking about like the second death as well. You're not going to die the second death because your father was a sinner. You know, you're going to be resurrected. It's kind of a different and way. I gotta, to and I have a couple more, and I think this one right here is a slam dunk. So they will also point they will they will tie Ezekiel eighteen twenty into Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen as well. So let me read that one real quick. Fathers are not put to death for their children, and children are not put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. So if you look in Second Chronicles twenty five, you will see a king named Amaziah, and he he put he implements this Torah command after it becomes king. So let me read this real quick. It's 2 Chronicles 25, 1-4. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And the name of his mother was, what's well, a front one, Yehoadon. <laughs> <laughs> Say that six times fast, of yeah. Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, but not with a perfect heart. So not everything. And it came to be upon his strong control of the reign that he slew his servants who had smitten his father, the sovereign, but he did not put their children to death, but did as it is written in the Torah of the book of Moses, or Moshe, where Yahweh commanded saying, fathers are not put to death for their children and children are not put to death for their fathers, but each one has to die for his own sin. So this, this shows this is not punishment, this Torah command in Deuteronomy 24, 16 is not punishment from the Most High. It's punishment between people, but they call it corporeal punishment. And, and I've seen a video, so you know how you, I'm sure you've had people pull your videos, Sean, and, and it's like a response video. They'll, they'll play a little piece, and then they'll do their commentary. So I've seen one of Courtney Smith's videos, and this guy literally skipped over this verse because it destroys his theology as an anti-missionary. Or somebody that supports anti-missionaries because he's he's a big fan of Tobias Singer. So I think this verse right here is very detrimental to the whole belief that no man can die for their own sin and, and quoting Deuteronomy 24, 16, Ezekiel 18, 20 out of context and pointing it to Yeshua. So so there's that. Now, the, the common vernacular that most Christians use is that Jesus did die for your sins. And I think we all agree with that as a general colloquial term is that right yeah okay but there's a practical application to that process like 
just to say, well, because he willingly went to the cross, he died for your sin. So I always try to remind people that the Romans who executed Yeshua upon the false slanderous claims of the disobedient, rebellious, hateful, and wicked <laughs> Pharisees, scribes, and high priests were not doing Torah. None of those people were involved in a Torah act of judgment. That was, he was martyred. He was persecuted unto death for his righteousness by the unrighteousness of the ruling class at that time. So none of this is application to Torah. When Jesus willingly, I, I, I want to stress that in all caps, willingly went to the cross, because remember, he told yep. us he laid his own life down. No one takes it from him. So he willingly sacrificed his life to go to allow them to take him to the cross, and their charges against him were slanderous. They were not truthful. He did not break the Torah. That was their lies about him to, to prosecute him and to get the Romans to actually carry out the, the death penalty. So that whole context there is kind of ignored and then pushed into this argument of, well, see, Christians say that Jesus died for your sins, and the Torah says you can't do that. Well, I'm like, for, for one, the Torah was not being applied that day when yeah. Jesus died. For two, Jesus went to the cross yeah. on his own volition. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, for, for three, there was no atonement that was, like the cross is not an altar in a temple to Yahweh. It was on the hill outside of, of the city. Yep. It was, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a totally different context there, right? Mm -hmm. So what does the scripture say? that Jesus actually covers the sin of Israel, which it was his death at the cross that put him to the place at the resurrection and got him to that position of high priest where he can actually atone for you and, and cover your sin. And so in that way, we kind of generally and colloquially speak and explain, yeah, he died for your sin, but that's like a shortcut statement. That's like a bumper sticker, right? Yeah. Compared to like yeah. the entire process that's outlined. You know what I mean? So, like, what's a good example, guys? Like, what if I were saying something like, you know, like, oh, um, um, what if I said, like, um, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl? And then you guys are thinking, like, oh, man, Tom Brady, every time he wins the Super Bowl every year, and he never has to practice, and there's not a team that helps him. It's just him alone that wins the Super Bowl, and there's no coach, and there's no lights and TV cameras. It's just him. There's no one that, that cuts the grass and paints the lines on it. There's, there's just him that wins the Super Bowl every year. Like that's the kind of bumper sticker that ignores the entire background mm -hmm. context and process. Yeah. When we say Jesus died for your sins, Amen, Hallelujah, He did. But what's all that? What all leads up to that fulfilling of that statement? Well, there's a whole bunch of things in between him dying before then resurrecting and then getting to the temple in heaven and then actually doing the the law for priests to atone for your sin in the temple, and that's uh and that's just skipped over by both modern Christians and anti missionaries. And it's just uh, it causes all this argument without context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I got before we go to the next topic, I got one more slide, Josh, just to take it another level deep. So I already read Deuteronomy 24, 16. So let's apply that to David and some of the stuff he did in Second Samuel 12, 13 and 14. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, also, Yahweh has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have also you have greatly scorned Yahweh. The child also who is born to you shall certainly die. So, so mm. here we have because of David's sin, his child died. So, again, this is this is 
another layer that makes it problematic for this whole no man shall die for another and they're applying it to Yeshua. So nice. If we look, yeah. if we look so scripture is like a puzzle piece. If you put pieces together like what we're doing tonight, you'll see the full picture. But anti-missionaries, they don't, they're not putting a puzzle together. They're just throwing a little piece at you way out of context to try to sow seeds of doubt in people's minds and hearts that believe in Yahshua that believe in the New Testament just to get them to question things. And that's sadly his tactics work on some people that aren't studied enough. And they'll, they'll say and pull something out of context, <clears throat> like Deuteronomy 24, 16, Isaiah 4, 3, 11, so on and so forth. And then they're like, they start to question it and then they go down this dark path. So, so I hope what we're doing tonight is a blessing and it really helps people see the deceptive practices of, I'll just go ahead and say his name. People like Tovia Singer, and how they twist scripture to try to get people from faith in Yeshua and rejecting the New Testament. Yeah, it's funny. We call them anti-missionaries. That's the modern term for what Paul called the party of circumcision in the first century AD. <laughs> because they did the same thing. They ran around behind yep. him at all the churches he made and tried to steal his converts by lying to them. Yes. So it's the same. We're dealing with the same ilk, the same spirit. Um, it's just modern day party of circumcision. Yeah, it's the age old battle. And, and that's why I'm thankful that I've come across people like you guys who have helped get me a better understanding of things. And it's a lot of the stuff like when you, you, you address Galatians, uh, Sean on your channel and, and break, break this stuff apart for people like, especially people like me who, who are coming out a lot of the, of a lot of the mainstream beliefs that I had those, those uh, bumper sticker phrases you'd mentioned coming out of those, those types of beliefs and an understanding um, the truth is it's really it's really important. These were the same battles Paul was facing, the same battles that that Yeshua was facing. And so it, it didn't go away. That spirit of the Antichrist, like it says, was there then. It's here now. And it's altered his truth of creation. Um, who his beloved son was, of course, is a big one. And so if you can eliminate creation and his creation, you could eliminate the father altogether. But if you could I'll merge him and the sun. It does damage if you can get rid of the sun. Anything they can do to uh, get rid of that father-son relationship or both of them is what the enemies and the unclean spirits are going to do. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if you get... Did you guys want to address that that last slide and, and those... Which one? I know oh, that, the one that he had up, this one? Yeah, I know that Matt, Matthew mentioned as an yeah. argument that... Matthew, were you saying that anti-missionaries bring this up as an argument? No, I was saying I think it's detrimental to their argument because they ignore it. Yeah, yeah, because it okay. it shows an example of Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen. Yeah, they pretty much ignore it as well, just like the Second Chronicles twenty five. I think it's from my perspective. I think it's problematic for their their approach to pulling scriptures out of context, so on and so forth. And are are you saying that uh, David's child died as an not as atonement for David's sin, but as a consequence. Yeah, because of his sin, yeah. Okay. Whereas Deuteronomy 24.16 is inferring more of what? A consequence or, or an atonement? I, I think it's consistent. Okay. Not atonement, a consequence. Okay. So, do okay. Just want to make sure. Right. Did you have another slap about one, Matt? No, that's the last one on that topic. All right. 
Moving along. So now we're looking at number three, and I know you guys have a lot <laughs> to share on this one. Uh, you, can do, no you can do a whole show on this topic. <laughs> yeah, this could be a, a two-hour thing here, and I've put up things, and if I have any prophecies that are not actually about him, let me know. I've, I I always compile things on different slides, and I've tried to bring them here and um, just have something to look at while we're talking about this. But all sorts of all sorts of uh, prophecies here, like the one in Micah that's mentioned in Matthew that says, yep. um, but you, Bethlehem, near Ephrod, so small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth to me the future ruler of Israel, whose origins are far in the past, back in ancient times. And I believe this implies pre-existence. His origins were back in ancient times. So when, when you look at the uh, book of Enoch that talks about it, it talks about it a lot in the New Testament, the preexistence, but um, especially here, back in ancient times. That was how far back in the past. And somebody in the chat was saying, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah, before Abraham existed, the beloved son existed. And so that's what it's talking about, those ancient times there in this verse in Micah chapter 5. And so that yeah, I think... Enoch 40 mentions the pre-existence as well. Yeah, I've got some of those verses up here uh, to share. We also see Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So extremely humble fulfilling that prophecy and doing so in style. <laughs> and then, of course, this is the uh, book of Psalm, which is just full of prophecies of the Messiah. Yep. I mean, just full of them. Did you want to read this one, Matt, or Sean? So go ahead, Matthew. All right, I got it. Smaller muscari. <laughs> Small. Yeah, I got no good. Okay. The very rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This has come from Yahweh, and in our eyes, it is amazing. This is the day Yahweh has made, a day for us to rejoice and be glad. Please, Yahweh, save us. Please, Yahweh, rescue us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is Elohim, and he gives us light. Join in the pilgrim feast with branches all the way to the horns of the altar. You're my Elohim, and I thank you. You're my Elohim, I exalt you. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his grace continues forever. Amen, amen. Yeah, thanks for translating those words for me. I just copied that from <laughs> Bible Gateway. So I, I feel like that's important. He came in the name, in the authority of his Father. And so when you're hearing in Matthew 21, that account, it says, others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way and the multitudes that went before and that followed crying, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Father, Hosanna in the highest. That's really cool uh, that you're seeing that prophecy fulfilled. And when you look at books like the fourth book of Ezra or two Ezra's that used to be in the King James Bible, it talks about the beloved son in a vision before, they, before he even came putting palms in our hands. You know, it says he saw one that was of higher stature than all the rest, putting crowns on their heads. And it was talking about the Messiah, his role. 
what he's eventually going to do. So I thought that the way this stuff ties together is beautiful if you understand the whole picture and the prophecies and even the things that he said. He tells us he came in his father's name and his father's authority. And it says, you receive me not. And if another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. There's always talks of these other messiahs. They're trying to get you, these anti-missionaries, looking for another messiah that's coming. He hasn't came yet, but he's prophesied about. He's going to be here soon, and he's going to come. And that's what we were warned about. So these warnings is is what it's all about. And so you see it in Psalms as well as in here in John with the messiah telling us the exact same thing. And that, that would be consistent with all the prophets in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If anti-missionaries were honest with themselves, they would say they all came in with the word of the Lord. That means they were in the authority of the Lord. That's they came in the name of Yahweh. That's it's just as it's like um, it's like uh, just ignoring the the just ignoring the <laughs> the role of a prophet. Like it's you know they just they have to ignore these things to make these arguments. That's why they're so. Um, they're so silly at face value or on face value, they can sound yep. tricky, but like the moment you start digging just one layer deep, you start to realize how, how flimsy these arguments, most of them are. Oh man. Yeah. Totally agree with that statement. No. Yeah. And, and I like this prophecy here in, in Daniel that it, when it's, <clears throat> it's speaking about this, it's, it's a lot of the same wording that he used that made the Pharisees angry. And we're like, Hey, he's, he's guilty of death for what he just said. Um, because here in Daniel, it says, I kept watching the night visions, or I say prophecy is actually a vision. Um, when I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, someone like the son of man, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that was a vision in Daniel and you look at, in Matthew chapter 26, I pulled this up in the King James Version as well as a Hebrew Matthew Version, supposedly an older Hebrew version of Matthew. And it says, I say to you, you have yet to see the Son of God sitting at the right hand or the right of the power of God coming on the clouds of heaven. And so if he's saying what's in that, and I'm sure those uh, Pharisees were familiar with that vision this made them angry. They're like, you're saying you're that guy. And so they're like, this is blasphemy. He's worthy of death. And so uh, in our translations, it says the right hand of power. And so I'm really, I'm curious on what you guys have found out about this verse. Is it the right hand of the power of God? Because uh, I've studied this verse many times over and I seem to get both. But I think that, I, I wonder what you guys think about that specific verse. Because the Hebrew version of Matthew, when I looked at that, made me go, hmm. Maybe that's why they got so angry, because they're seeing him describing himself a lot like that vision. Uh, what was the? I mean, to me, this is Psalm one ten, right? I mean, sit yeah. at the right hand, so yeah, it is. So it's like you know that, to know that anyone that sits at the right hand of God in the heavenlies is. Uh, and again, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be well rounded in my answers, but a lot of it does hinge on them not applying the Torah. Yeah. So the. The person, okay, so think about this for a minute, guys. In the in the Old Testament, when when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was the throne of Yahweh. Now, even though Yahweh wasn't there, it was where it was a replica, a copy made of what's in heaven, where Yahweh would have sat. 
Yeah. Right. So it's a throne of Yahweh. So when the the high priest walks in, the only person that's able to step into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And in that regard, he is at the right hand of the power of Yahweh. Like he is the ultimate leader in, in Israel. That's why Aaron in his priestly regalia was given a crown. He is crowned in his ordination. Um because he was ruler over all of Israel as the top dog, if I could put it like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is why the, if you're if you're top dog, there's no other dogs below you. And if you go in personally to see the 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 ultimate ultimate almighty and you're his his top dog, well, you're his right hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the idea of the of the high priest. And so um in addition to Isaiah 42, where he's like, I'm going to send my servant in judgment and rule over the nations. In addition to Psalm two, I don't know if you have that in the slide already coming up, but um, uh, you have Psalm 22, but it, Psalm two, it talks about um, do homage to the sun, lest you become angry and you perish along the way. Right. Because the, it's in yeah. Psalm chapter two, Yahweh directly says today, I've called you my son, but I've begotten you and you shall rule over the nations with an iron rod and shatter them like pottery. So like, that means Yahweh, he didn't, he never said this of any of the angels. This is what the writer of Hebrew tries to remind us in Hebrews chapter one. He never called any of the angels his son. This is always prophesied for another character. And that, and that's, that's all the way back to Psalm two. And that character was to be the one that ruled over the nations and destroyed the enemies of Yahweh. That is someone that has power and authority. So that is someone that is sent by Yahweh as his servant and we see directly in the Torah that the, the high priest of Yahweh was called the servant of Yahweh. It's, it's just, it's so clearly outlined in the scriptures. This is where the, you know, you start jumping into this and you see that a lot of the anti-missionary arguments um, ignore their own Bible in order to make these arguments. And this is very consistent with Paul in Galatians chapter six, Josh, I don't know if you remember this verse or not, but Paul actually says in Galatians six, Hey, this circumcision party that wants to get you circumcised to claim that you're saved because they, they, they had rejected them and bewitched them away from faith in Jesus. It says, um, they don't even keep the law themselves. This is Galatians six, 12. You see what I'm saying? So that's why in the same vein, we see these arguments from people who don't even know or keep the law themselves because they've rejected the prophet sent by the father. So therefore they reject the father. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If you guys, you need to, I, I, you could probably tell um, that Sean, he's, he's able to just quote verses without pulling them up. Something I'm, <laughs> I've uh, desired to do for a while. And uh, it, it's, just, it's, it's a blessing to have that gift. He's been blessed with that gift. So yeah, if you, if you have not yet check out his videos on these topics, I've linked one of them in the description for you. Um, the stuff goes so deep and I, I wish I, I had more time to compile all the prophecies, like the ones he's mentioning. That's why I've had them on. Cause I knew if there's something that I'm leaving out, he will bring it right back into the discussion. And so, uh, I've, as I've got pulled up on the, on the screen here, lots of other prophecies throughout Psalm that, that make more sense when you're looking at the crucifixion, um, like, uh, Psalm 22, 12, it says many bulls have encompassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. He was judged by Herod in Bashan right before the crucifixion. And uh, he's poured out like water and all his bones are out of joint. But my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. So you see uh, in John forthwith came there out blood and water. Things He was fulfilling prophecy throughout his entire 
walk. And we're about to look here in a little bit at the miracles and how that also ties into the Old Testament as well, more so than people could imagine. All throughout Psalms, for dogs have compassed me. They, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And here in John again and again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So many. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So just he's, laying those out. It's a great ahead. comparisons, brother. Yeah. It's kind of it's fun going through the the prophecies, going back and and uh, tying these things together. Um, Josh, even, I think I think Matthew's uh, knocking on the door to get back in. Oh, is he? Oh, let me hit escape. Uh oh. Sorry, hit wrong button. Sorry, brother, hit wrong button. Oh. Okay, <laughs> you're in timeout for your. Yeah, yeah. My bad behavior. Bad behavior. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So we're just looking over prophecies. You could probably hear. Um, but even the one about all of his bones, not one of them is broken. And that happened in, when he was on the, on the cross or being crucified. They didn't break any of his bones. They were going to, but they didn't. It says, for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And you see that with the Passover too as well. Not breaking any of the bones through Exodus and Numbers. And then here we go. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. You saw that happen at the baptism. And he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. That's directly out of Isaiah here. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. There you go. Let's see. I'm trying to think of how many how many of these uh, prophecies I've pulled up here. Yeah, I, I got one. I'm trying to find my. I have like a bunch on one slide that somebody can screenshot. Yeah, really helpful. And here's here's a pre-existence verse. I'll pull this. I'll pull yours up in just a second. Um, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Beautiful. And it becomes more clear when you start, when you look at this verse here. I know some of you aren't, too keen, excuse me, on the book of Enoch, you kind of, you think, oh, excuse me. Now, here's a question before you get into this verse. Why would they yeah. take the book of Enoch out of scripture? Yeah. I maybe wonder why. It, maybe because it talks about Yeshua. Yeah. yeah, I cover that in one of my videos. Um, I For anyone that's not familiar in this audience, I actually uh, play the lecture from modern day Hebrew Emeritus and Dead Sea Scroll professor Rachel Eliar from Hebrew University in Israel today. And she, in her lecture, explains that first century religious leaders of Judaism, so the same Pharisees, scribes, and priests that 
betrayed and killed Yeshua, they later decided that the average person, if they wanted to be a part of Israel, could not read Jubilees, Enoch, or the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. Wow. So, because it it shouts the law, the priesthood, yep. and Yeshua everywhere. And so, that's how people were coming to faith and belief so easily in the first century. They understood all this context. They saw how Yeshua completely, perfectly fulfilled this stuff, and it was praiseworthy. It was, it was instantly life-changing to realize, oh, he actually arrived. And he fills, he checks off all the boxes because yeah. we know what all the boxes are, right? Mm -hmm. In the modern day, the average believer doesn't know what all the boxes are. So they get caught up in these bad anti-missionary arguments. Yeah. And one thing that's tough about the talking about the book of Enoch and Jubilees with other believers is they're, they're like, nope, uh, I don't want to hear it. It's not in the canon. It's not in the 66, brother. And I used to be like that. And then the father, I guess he hit me over with, over a head with a brick. Not a literal brick, but a <laughs> metaphorical brick. And because I used to be like, I'd go to a congregation. There's people that are reading Enoch, I think Jubilees too, and other books. I'm like, man, why are y'all reading that? Come on, dude, that's not that's not scripture. And then you open my eyes, and I'm I've read all of Jubilees, and I'm close to actually finishing uh, Sean's uh, study guide on Enoch, and it's it's amazing. If anybody out there is has not got a copy of it. I highly recommend it. I was blessed to meet Sean in person at Adam's Parable Vineyard Congregation, and he blessed me with a copy, but it's I highly recommend it. It's an amazing scripture study tool because he cross-references so much stuff just to show that the canon lines up with Enoch. Yeah, it's yeah. color-coded. It's literally color-coded. He, he uh, was awesome enough to send me a copy of this book. It's color-coded to tie it in to the Bible, to what we call the canon, the, the books that we have now. And so you can cross-reference everything. I'm trying to have my wife or somebody bring it down so I can show it. Uh, it's, it's really cool. And I know I uh, had the Sean's get one. Oh, he's got one. There it I'm is. Actually, I'm actually giving away, giving away one of these tonight, later after this broadcast. Uh, nice. Uh, to, to people that, that qualified for it on my other channel. So, um, But yeah, it's just a book I put together that it outlines all of Enoch and then color codes everything that that's from the canon of 66 that matches Enoch. And even there's one that you had on screen right here, um, Josh, and it's uh, the chosen one where it talks about um, it's, I, I don't know if you saw that scripture, but um, or I think it was the scripture right, maybe right before this, but either way, this is the book of Enoch. It calls um, the elect one in Enoch 61 and some translations, like I think it's the Lawrence calls him the chosen one because that's the same thing as the elect one. Mm -hmm. yep. And so then we see that actually in Isaiah 42, it literally says, my servant will rule the nations, my chosen one, you know? So like it's, it's the language, even the language lines up. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really beautiful. I got emotional. I was reading Enoch for the first, uh, for the first time when I was investigating the truth about creation and, and just looking at Enoch with an open mind. And I, and I'd bought a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, fragments where you have, you know, it has the book of Enoch in there. And I yep. just started comparing and they were so similar. I'm like, how is it? How could this be a hoax if it matches up so well with the Dead Sea Scrolls? And we received this version of the Book of Enoch before they even found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they couldn't have copied something that hadn't been discovered yet in the caves of Qumran. So yeah. it, it was uh, it was powerful seeing this because you don't see descriptions like this in the Old Testament about the the Messiah. And it's it's beautiful. I got emotional reading. I'm over reading it on the couch. My wife's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, I'm "Just <laughs> reading something here that is really cool that I haven't seen before." And uh, I want I want to read this for some of you who haven't seen it. 
um, it, there's a there's a couple more slides that go along with this, but it's here's Enoch getting seeing these things, being shown these things, and it says, and there I saw one who had a head of days, and his head was white like wool, and with him there was another whose face had the appearance of a man, and his face was full of grace like one of the holy angels. And I asked one of the holy angels who went with me and showed me all the secrets about that son of man, who he was, and from where he was, and why he went with the head of days. And he answered me and said to me, This is the son of man who has righteousness, and with whom righteousness dwells. He will reveal all the treasures of that which is secret for the Lord of Spirits. Or for the Lord of Spirits has chosen him, and through uprightness his lot has surpassed all others in front of the Lord of Spirits forever. And when it says the Lord of Spirits, it's talking about the Father. And so I, I, this is color-coded because I was using it for a Bible study. Sorry about that. I know that's confusing, confusing some of you. Um, and at that hour, that Son of Man was named in the presence of the Lord of Spirits, and His name brought to the head of days, even before the sun and the constellations were created, before the stars of heaven were made, His name was named in front of the Lord of Spirits, he will be a staff to the righteous and the holy so that they may lean on him and not fall. And he will be the light of the nations and he will be the hope of those who grieve in their hearts. So like I said, I got emotional reading this the first time. Uh, still do. It's just really cool. It's really cool images that the Enoch was shown and the enemy was against this. And this is why. Those unclean spirits were like, "Hey, you're the son of God." You know, you matched that description. They knew when when he was when he was talking to them directly. What is your name? He knew these unclean spirits had a history, a history that we see in this book. Who, why they have names, why they're angry, why they're set out to destroy the truth about creation and hide all the evidence. That's why they know who he is, and uh, they're very familiar with this book. And there, you see, oh, it keeps going. I'll read another one. All those yeah. who dwell upon the dry ground will fall down and worship in front of him, and they will bless and praise and celebrate with palms, or with psalms, not palms, with psalms. Sound like uh, Joe Biden there. With, <laughs> with psalms, <laughs> did that, Don't do it. Don't the, do it, Josh. The palmist. I went there. Um, oh, <laughs> with psalms. Reach the name of the Lord of Spirits. Sorry, guys. Some of you might be, that might be a little touchy. And because of this, he was chosen and hidden and, and hidden in front of him before the world was created and forever. So really powerful stuff there. You guys got anything to add to that? I know Sean probably. Well, let me say this. Go ahead, Sean, another thing for the validity of the book of Enoch in Jude, he calls Enoch a prophet. So we have to throw Jude out if we're going to throw Enoch out too. So just saying. Scrap that book. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 42 matches everything you were just reading in First Enoch. Um, do you mind if I read just uh, two or three scriptures real oh, quick? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me. Yeah. It says, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged before he has established justice on the earth. And here's, you know, just more language to match what you just read. In his law, the islands will put their hope. The islands 
the na- that's you know people of the nations right the yeah. islands will put their hopes since they're surrounded by water according to Jubilees too huh so what's interesting is that the, all the same language is there the same prophecies are there Enoch 46 and 48 calls him son of man um, Isaiah 42 calls him my servant speaking Yahweh's servant the chosen one and specifically that the nations will hope in him and this is why you know it's like this is Yahweh talking about a second character this is not Yahweh talking about himself coming down. This is yeah. Yahweh talking about a second character. That this is the one, my servant, my chosen one, whom in whom my soul delights. Um, also, real quick, there's another thing in the Psalms. You had those scriptures up about the Psalms earlier, but mm-hmm. there's another one that anti-missionaries completely, absolutely glaze over. And it's in Psalm 16. And this is what Peter repeated in Acts 2, uh, specifically saying that this Psalm was written about the Messiah. So in Acts 16.10, for you will not abandon my soul to shield, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So who's the Holy One? Peter tells us directly in Acts 2, this was about Yeshua. Now, just fun extra homework, guys, for anyone in the audience. Go through Isaiah and Psalms and see how many times it mentions the Holy One of Israel Hmm. and what message he has for (laughs) Israel. So... Here we got another second character. Even just if you just at face value, you read this verse, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This is the psalmist speaking. Nor, secondary, nor will you not let your Holy One, that's yours, Yahweh, the possessive, speaking of the subject matter, Holy One, a second person, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So Yeshua, yeah. obviously, dead for three days, did not decay, was resurrected to the glorified body. So, like... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's it's all here as far as the argument that any missionary say there's no prophecies of someone coming to fulfill Yahweh as the deliverer. It's just, it's just nonsense. Truly, yep. is nonsense. Yeah, there's tons. I got uh, that slide if you want to pull it up, Josh. So if anybody want to screenshot this one, this is a really good one. And these are not just all the messianic titles of Yeshua. I mean. There's some that Sean and Josh mentioned that are not on here. So so here's quite a few. Now, I got a question, Josh. Do you want to cover the virgin birth on this stream or wait till the next one? Uh, we Is can wait until the next one, probably. Okay. Well, it's, it's up to you. Whatever you want to share, feel led to share. Whatever y'all want to do. <laughs> I do have a slide on it, but I know if I mention that, we're going to go off onto that topic. <laughs> not so afraid. if you want to wait, I'll, I'll let that ride. It's up to you, but, man. But I do have a, let's see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, this is a good one too. So this is this is a little little bit of lengthy read, but I think it's important. So to make so in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, it's the, it says, The spirit of the master Yahweh is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh and the day of vengeance of our Elohim. To to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto those who mourn in Zion, to give them embellishment for ashes, the oil, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and they shall be called trees of righteousness, a planting of Yahweh to be adorned. And fast forward to Yahshua standing <laughs> with a scroll in hand in Luke 4. He, this is what happens. And the scroll of the prophet Yeshayahu or Isaiah was handed to him. And having unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of Yahweh is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me 
to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives and recover your sight to the blind, to send away crushed ones with a release to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh. And having rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the congregation were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been filled in your hearing. So here we have Yeshua quoting Isaiah 61 saying he fulfilled it right then and there. How powerful is that? I'm glad you shared that because that was actually something I was looking at the other day. I don't think I included it in these slides. Looking back at his journey, going back through and thinking, picturing him opening that scroll right to reading about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of cool. Listen, guys, pay attention. That's awesome. I think we beat that one pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> the, for sure. There's no prophecies of Yeshua. Yeah, there's there's so many. And that's why it was hard for me when I'm hearing that for the first time going, let me go back and check and just see. I mean, it, maybe I'm, look, you know, maybe I'm applying the prophecies wrong. And I'm like, no, these are obviously about him. And it ties in perfectly with everything you see, even in uh, second Baruch here. Um, and it shall come to pass at that selfsame time that the treasury of man shall again descend from on high and they will eat of it in those years because these are they who have come to the consummation. And uh, I was looking at John chapter six. It says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. Let's see. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he was giving it. Was it being like like the uh, human sacrifice aspect of it? He was giving his life. So that brings us to number four. He never oh required human <laughs> sacrifice. We've touched on this a little bit, um, but I know you guys you guys have a lot to say on this, and especially Sean. I think you've got some some uh, interesting takes on this because uh, when when I was approached with this question, it was hard for me to just pull up verses and and explain it. And so then I'm like. Let me go back to Sean and see what he has to say on this and, <laughs> and other people. Um, Courtney, Courtney Smith, there's a lot of people out there. I'll try to link all the, the uh, things that help out and provide clarity on this because human sacrifice is bad. And we see that all the time. The father was ex against it. These people were doing that. That's what these false gods want. They wanted people to sacrifice their children and in return, these demons would try to, you know, promise them the world and all these empty promises, short-term pleasures, whatever it was. But people still do this today. This hasn't gone away. It's it's not as much open in the public as it as it was. The uh, the people that are the puppets or whatever you want to call them, the Illuminati, they still hint around to it. Um, but this is something that is definitely still done today. And it was not the beloved son's role to be a human sacrifice. So you got anything? And I know Sean to share on that one. Matthew, you can go first you. if you like. Or Matthew, either one of you. Yeah, I'll go. I'll do my slides and then Sean will. Oh, here, let me pull yours take up. Take over. <laughs> Sean will be awesome like he is. All right. So, where they get the basics of this argument is from Deuteronomy 12 31. Let me read that real quick. Do not do so to Yahweh your Elohim. For every abomination which Yahweh hates, they have done to their mighty ones, for they've even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to their mighty ones. So, so this, this kind of sacrifice is detestable to the Most High because it is offered to false deity. 
on an altar as a burnt offering, and it's usually a innocent life or a child sacrifice. So Sean mentioned earlier that Yeshua, you can see here in John 10 and 11, and Luke 22, 42, passages about him offering his life up pretty much. I'll read real quick. John 10 and 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then Luke 22, 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Yahshua was an adult and he was a willful offering. So this doesn't check the boxes or fit the criteria in Deuteronomy 12, 31. So I don't know if you want to jump in there, Sean, because I have a couple more slides. Um, to finish. Hey, you can finish. It's okay if you're on if you're on a, a roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slow that roll. Yeah, yeah. No, you good. <laughs> don't kill the flow. So, so everybody knows the story. I won't read the text just because so we can cover as much as we can. So, but in in Genesis twenty two, everybody knows the story that Abraham offered up Isaac, and it was a test. But he was willing to do it, and he had no issue with doing it. And so, and here's another story that's unique. And I was thinking about this. So I was like, ooh, that story is fitting for this argument. So in Judges 11, we have something interesting that happens with Yiptak. So in verses 30 through 31, and Yiptak made a vow to Yahweh and said, if you give the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall belong to Yahweh, and I shall offer it up as a burnt offering. So so here, Yiptak is like, Abba, if you bless me and you help me handle my business, then I will honor you with the vow. And so he opens his mouth and insert foot <laughs> after what happens next. So we fast forward to verse 34 and 35, and Yiptak came to the house at Mitzpah and saw his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. Now, except for he had neither son nor daughter, and it came to be when he saw her that he tore his garments and said, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me. And I, I may give my word to Yahweh, and I'm unable to turn back. So Yiptak, he, I mean, he kept his vow. He, he made a vow with the father, and he kept it. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, I don't see anywhere where the Most High is like, how dare you do that well do you um yeah i think this might be where we would disagree uh leviticus 27 is the okay. outline prescription for torah for devoting a, uh, a male or female of different ages to the father for service and that's what it would be to give your child or your servant to yahweh just as okay. in we see hannah do with with samuel giving him to the temple for his own life under the under the priesthood of eli and so um this is because Yahweh, like if, if, if Jephthah or Yiptah actually took his daughter and gave her to the temple and then a priest took a knife and slayed her open, cooked her organs and offered it to Yahweh, the priest would be killed immediately. So this is why when you devoted your child to Yahweh and you gave him to Yahweh, as an, um, it's as a burnt offering, shall offer it up as a, I think that's a, a simile. I think he's com it's a comparative statement, not a direct, because Yahweh's description and definition in Leviticus 1 for a burnt offering does not include humans. So in this regard, I would say the anti-missionaries do have a point, but they're just arguing off of bad Christian arguments. 
So sure. there, Yahweh does not allow human sacrifice. He does not request it in his Torah. It's not prescribed. And yep. He does not make any accommodation for it for any other scenario. So the, the, I would suggest that the terminology for Yipta saying, I, you know, I'll vow my, the first person that comes out of my house to Yahweh is in the same context of Leviticus 27 for anyone that might give son, daughter, or servant, or family member. You can even give your grandma and grandpa too. Like if your mother-in-law is bugging you, you can devote her to the temple. <laughs> Just Get out of here, being, a little, being a little playful. But yeah, that yeah, was yeah. the actual law is like the temple. Think about it, guys. A massive building. The priests were only so many and they didn't have all these jobs for, for maintenance and for service. So just in the same regard, we see um, someone that was not a Levite, but was also in service at the temple in the book of, of uh, Luke chapter two. We see Asher from the tribe, or excuse me, Anna from the tribe of Asher. She's in service at the temple as a prophetess, and it says she hardly ever left the temple. So she's not a Levite, but she's also in service to the temple. And you, you just have to wonder, did she voluntarily do that, or was did her family sell her? Uh, because there's an actual evaluation. And it was, imagine it like this, Matthew. It was kind of like a loan. So like you, like if you needed money for your business, you could actually have a servant or son or daughter that you could donate, and they would be evaluated by the temple priests. They give you money. And then if you wanted to get that family member or servant back from the temple, you could redeem them and you paid 20% over that initial price, that loan price they gave you. So you gave back the initial loan plus 20% and you redeemed that servant back to your household instead of the temple and the priests allocating them to serve in the temple somehow. So that's where um, I would suggest that's what Jipta, Jipta did in this scenario. And they didn't, there wouldn't have been a, an, an open sacrifice of a human, but that's why in the following verses, the daughter goes with her friends for a month or two and mourns her virginity yeah. because yeah. if she's given to the temple in service, she's not able to get married. Um, it, I, I hate to use this analogy because I am so strongly against Catholicism, but it's as if a, a modern day nun or co a convent, you know, where the nuns aren't allowed to marry and they're in service to God. But the difference there's, there's some other small technicality differences. Uh, the point is this particular yeah. vow he dedicated to Yahweh for life. So mm -hmm. this wasn't something he intended to redeem. Um, and normally the daughter's not the first one that meets you. If you're a man of wealth and power, like Jephthah was like, normally the daughter's not the first to run out the house to meet you. It's your servants. Yeah. They see you coming, they make sure you got your provisions and they're going to come help you stable the donkey or the horse or whatever, and, and take you down and make sure you're good. Right. But for some reason she ran out the house that day. You know, now Leviticus 27 also goes into, you can donate property to the temple as well as animals for service to the temple as well. So he, Jephthah could have been like, Hey, I know that there's a typically in the fields, there's a horse that always runs up to me first when I come home <laughs> or there's, you yeah. know, uh, uh, Rudy, the, the Henri donkey, he's always running up to me first because he's chewed something up and doesn't <laughs> be mad at him. Like, you know, like he could have just thought it was even one of his animals that he could donate it to the temple. But um, it was his daughter, unfortunately to his demise, to his sadness, but, uh, because it was a huge thing to have kids and grandkids back then. Like it still oh, is yeah. today, but oh, like yeah. it was a massive thing back then. Like you, yeah, that was wild to them back then. Yeah. So he's, so yeah, he did kind of stick his foot in his mouth in that regard, but I would disagree that there was a human sacrifice involved. And so, um, but yeah, I don't want to derail and, in and in to, to contradict you. Um, but I just, that's my understanding of the text. No, what you're saying makes sense. So <laughs> yeah, yeah it, ma it makes a lot of sense. Cause that was a verse. I remember, when I read that, and uh, I think you addressed this in a Q and A. I don't know. I'm trying to remember where I've, I've heard your answer to that. 
um, I think it was recently. I feel like it was recently you were talking about that exact situation because, yeah, to me when it said she bewailed her virginity, I was like, what is, what's going on? Yeah. It sounds like she's going to. <clears throat> yeah, they weren't they weren't sex crazed back then. Like it yeah. wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be <laughs> sacrificed to a god, but I haven't had sex yet. Yeah, like, it wasn't that. It wasn't <laughs> that silly. Like, no, not like our society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These modern, yeah, modern girls, they'd be all like, but let me just get laid first. Let yeah. me live a little bit. Oh my like goodness, that. live a little, YOLO. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you're, yeah, YOLO. You're only laid once. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I'm like, wait, you only live twice. Yeah. Most <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully you live twice. So ultimately, I, I would say that there's some Torah teeth to that argument, that number four argument, right? There is no call or prescription for human for human sacrifice. But again, that's just them taking the modern day bumper sticker phrases from from the Protestant and Catholic movements to say, well, Jesus is our sacrifice for our sin, just like Paul calls him you know, the, uh, a Passover lamb, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a lamb that they sacrificed out of their flocks and herds for the Passover meal. Josh, just like that verse you had on screen before Matt presented his verses, which you had on, uh, he was the bread of life sent down from heaven and kind of, you know, showing that even second brute talks about the manna that comes down from heaven. It's the food of angels and it will happen again in the future. Um, and that's where like nobody ever gets mad and says, well, Jesus is also bread. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. he's called a sacrifice and people are like, oh, so see, he must have been a literal sacrifice. And like, he's also called bread. Is he literally <laughs> bread? What type no. of like, is he? <laughs> no, and he's not literally bread. Right. So therefore yeah. we understand metaphors. We understand comparative yeah. statements to something that's already been established to us, which is in the Torah. Um, in the same way, he said, this my blood drink it, you know, and holding up the wine. Is he literally wine? Of course not. Nah. You know what I mean? So there's other comparative statements that nobody ever really talks about that, but they just focus on the, the, the sacrifice one, because, you know, it, it was a sacrifice of his own life and will to go to the cross. Like even he praised this in Matthew 26, right? He says, it's not my will father, but it's your will Let the, you know, if, 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 if there's a way, let this cup pass for me, but if not, your will be done, not my will. Right. So he, he is admitting right there. He doesn't say the actual word sacrifice, but he's he's enunciating his emotions to say, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for your will, Father. Knowing that the sacrifice wasn't him walking up to a priest at the temple and saying, here, lay me on the altar and fillet me open and cook part of me and eat part of me. That was not what he was doing. He was, mm -hmm. he was like, I know that the definition of him saying, not my will be done, but your will be done, means I will let the Romans come take me. I will let the, the chief priests slander me and, and prosecute me, and then they're going to torture me gruesomely, right? This is why he was praying fervently as if drops of blood because he knew what awaited him because I believe, like you put on screen, Josh, I believe he did know Psalm 22 was talking about him. Hmm. So even to the point yeah. of down to they they beat me, they pulled my beard out, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's, the bulls of Bashan surround me. Like I, I'm pretty sure they, he knew because he knew the scriptures inside out or he's the walking word, right? He's the word made flesh. So like, I'm pretty sure he, he knew all the scriptures that, that talked about him, both his, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his future reigning over the nations. And so, yeah, I would have been, I would have asked too, can this, is there any yeah. other, other way we can accomplish this? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on, pretty, pretty rough, dad. Is there any other yeah. way we can accomplish this? And, and, uh, you know, the father's like, Hey, nope. um, this is the fullness of time. This is when I had to send you. And so, yeah, it'd be very, very rough.
So yes, there's there's the language of sacrifice used for his him allowing himself to be killed on the cross. But he knew the resurrection awaited him. He knew the promise of the covenant. He knew the prophecies of him becoming the high priest of Israel in the Melchizedek order in the temple of heaven. He knew that was the point of the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, it it, it was still difficult and it required the utmost obedience. This is what Hebrews 5 verse 7 tells us that even though he was a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. And so, so it was a sacrifice of his own will and his own life because he didn't, like he shows you in John chapter 20, you guys remember the, the Roman soldiers that try to apprehend him and they're like, are you Jesus? He's like, I am. And they all fall down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he shows them he's got the power like to just, you know, take him out and not, I mean, this is the same dude that walked on water and calmed the waves and the wind and the storm. Like he's got the power to not be apprehended and taken to the cross and beaten and humiliated and spit on and mocked. You know what I'm saying? He's got the power to avoid all that, but like he willingly let himself go to the cross. That is an absolute sacrifice of his life his own intent to be obedient to the father, but yet he's not literally a lamb. He's not literally a goat. He's not literally a guilt offering of an ox. Mm -hmm. He's not literally a peace offering, even though he's called our Prince of peace and he is our offering of peace Ezekiel 30. He's not literally what they would have brought forward for a peace offering or, an, or a sin offering. He was a man that needed to get to his priesthood to make atonement for all sinners in Israel. And for those who confess and repent. So, that's the way I would I would try to personally address the idea that yes Yahweh did not ask for a human sacrifice nor does he accept it, but Yeshua was not killed according to the Torah. Yep. It's that simple. That's that's all it boils down to. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks I for that. Oh yeah, that that's awesome. I got a question, Josh. Uh, do you have a slide on Isaiah fifty three? Isaiah fifty three. Let me look at my slide. Surely we have to discuss that one a little bit if we're going to talk about this topic say <laughs> a 53 i do have something cool on that yeah i don't think i did i thought i did right. but i don't all right so if you want to pull mine up real quick i got a, a little nugget that i know sean can probably add some spice to this so so when you're studying scripture it's good to look at stuff from the masoretic text versus septuagint text so the masoretic approximately a thousand years after the Messiah walked the earth, a group of, and I got it down on the bottom, the Masoretes, <laughs> they, they decided they want to put their, their personal spin on scripture pretty much. And so, and the Septuagint is one of the oldest. It's actually a Greek translation, Old Testament compared to the Masoretic, but in the modern day English translations, whether it's a, ISR scriptures, King James, majority of them are based on the what they call the authoritative Masoretic text. So I got a couple quotes from Wiki real quick just to show some information about the Masoretic text. And then I want to show a side-by-side -side comparison of Isaiah 53 verses 10 and 11. There's something pretty interesting in there. I'm interested to see what Sean's take is on it. I'm sure he's looked at it before. So under Masoretic text on Wikipedia, the quote, the Dead Sea Scrolls dating to as early as the third century BCE contain versions of the text that are radically different from today's Hebrew Bible, end quote. When I saw that, uh, that was, uh, that stopped me in my tracks. So I was like, wow. And then under the Masoretic. Uh, Matthew. Yes, sir. I hear you hitting buttons. Are you intending to change slides? Because it's not changing if you are. No, I'm not. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm just going back back and forth. I'm 
with tabs on my screen. Just make it bigger. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if you're trying to change slides. No, you're good. Yeah, I know I got a hot mic. <laughs> <laughs> and then under the Mazarites on Wikipedia dot org, excuse me, I said dot com earlier. Quote, the Ben Asher family of Masoretes was largely responsible for the preservation and production of the Masoretic text. Although there existed an alternative Masoretic text of the Ben Natali Masoretes, which has around 875 differences from the Ben Asher text. So even between the different flavors of the Masoretic text, there's hundreds of differences. So. Just think about our modern translations, like how, how many times did they change and take out stuff that they didn't like that didn't go along with their theology? Because we got to be real when we're reading stuff in, in our own language, in English. It's not what's in the Hebrew. It's whatever the translator's interpretation and understanding. And sometimes, a lot of times, they'll shove their theology in the text. So that's why we need to be like Sean, yeah, calls, calls himself a word nerd. We need to do our own scriptural studies and take it to the original as much as we can to get the best understanding. Cause if you just read it in English, I mean, there's the whole phrase lost in translation <laughs> is true. And Matthew, this was an actual common practice by the rabbis and, and the Masoretes came from the rabbi uh, class. Um, was that it's, this is a, a literary term. It's called didactic teachings. And so this was a common thing that the, the rabbis did when they copied scrolls and, and they inserted their own theological opinion into the text by slightly changing something in order to create what they called a didactic teaching, meaning that we're going to we're going to use the text as it is slightly adjust it to to put in our personal interpretation to draw out a teaching to use for reading and teaching their disciples. So this is why over time you're going to get 875 differences. That makes sense. So let's look and at a lot of it. a lot of people don't realize that the Masoretic text was actually uh, compiled and worked on from the second century AD to the ninth century AD. They had 700 years to create their own version. Wow. Yep. That's a long time. Yeah. This is why in the first century AD, they commissioned three different copies of the Septuagint by their own translators because they didn't like the original Septuagint translation. And this is where we actually get like Jerome's Vulgate in the Latin was a, was mainly from the second Septuagint copy that was commissioned in the first century AD, which was called the Theodosian trend Septuagint translation. So this is where Jerome's Vulgate was accepted by some rejected by many because he pulled from a specific Septuagint Greek translation that the, the rabbis of the day did not like. So they, they, that's why they had three different ones commissioned because they kept trying to change little things to hide Yeshua. So that, that's the key. So just we need that little NBC graphic. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We're gonna get better with our graphics. So let's look at a side-by-side comparison of the Masoretic versus Septuagint in Isaiah 53. See if we can find something interesting. So I I don't want to read the whole thing, but I do want to highlight. So I'll read verse 11. Everybody sees the that verse 10 and 11 on the screen. So let me read. Verse 11, and this is in the King James Version, on the left side. So the left side is the Masoretic, and on the right side is the Brentons, a.k.a. the Septuagint. So he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then in the Septuagint, 
Yahweh also is pleased to take away from the travail of his soul to show him lights and to form him with understanding to justify the just one who serves many well, and he shall bear their sins. So could that phrase that I have underlined be referencing something to do with the resurrection? Hmm. What do you think, Sean? Well, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Um, because that's, you know, this is the light of life, I think, as some translations may put it. But um, yeah, to show him light. But it definitely implies the promise of the covenant, which is to have eternal life. And this is where um, I did an interview recently with a guy that was arguing. He had he had a very peculiar argument. Uh, his name is David, and he had very peculiar takes on some things. He didn't have traditional arguments. And he actually had found some really cool research that um, first century first century rabbis, even those of Judaism, were arguing that Leviticus 18, 4 and 5 was promising Israelites eternal life if they did the commandments. And a lot of Christians didn't understand that, right? They didn't get it that the promise of the covenant was that you get eternal life, right? This is why Yeshua is called the first fruits of the first resurrection. So this is what I've I've been trying to say for years. Like the, the whole the whole covenant assumes you get resurrected. Like, because how are you gonna live forever with God and in the land of promise if you're dead, right? So you have to be resurrected. And we know that death is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. So you have to die, you have to be resurrected to get the promise of the Old Testament covenant, which is to to you know to be, to be glorified, to be raised with the Father, and, and to be raised and live with the Father and the Son in their house. And uh, and Yeshua makes that possible through his priesthood and his appointment as Messiah, right? He's the one that has the authority to forgive your sin and raise you to eternal life. So that means if he became a man on the earth through the womb of a woman, well, then he has to go through that process too. He has to obey the covenant too. He's going to get the blessing of the covenant too, which is eternal life. So it only makes sense that he's the called the first fruits of the first resurrection. So yes, this is why you would have little statements like this about the Messiah, that he would get the light of life or he would be shown light. Uh, this is the same promise that we see in Revelation 22, verse 5, where it says God will illumine them, those who live in the New Jerusalem with him. God will illumine them because they've participated in the first resurrection. They've been glorified. Uh, they've been quickened, as Paul references in Romans chapter 8. And so they are now received not only the resurrection body that Yeshua did, but also the inheritance, which is the New Jerusalem. Um, this is what Paul tries to reference in Romans eight nineteen. So yeah, I, I totally agree, brother. Do you think that was taken out on purpose? Oh yes, there's a lot that was taken out on purpose. In fact, yeah. um, there's a uh, some quotes from both Irenaeus and Justin Martyr in the second century AD where they're quoting things that were taken out because they still had the old manuscript and then they had the new manuscript also. Wow! Do, nice. do you guys want to hear? Do you guys want to hear some of those quotes? Yes, I would love to. Just I tell me I've when you're done, and I'll. I think yeah. I've seen it before. Oh, that's that's the last slide I have on Isaiah 53. I just want to highlight the how the Masoretic takes okay. out a lot of stuff. So, so, so that, there's one cool in, to see that. Irenaeus, he was a second century bishop of Lyons, approximately you know 150 AD, and uh, he was supposedly a um, disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, who was a disciple of Yeshua. Okay, so we got like a very you know close connection uh, within. Supposedly John died around AD 92. According to most historians, this guy um, was just literally 60 years later making the statement. Okay, so this is Irenaeus, and he says that this particular verse used to be in Isaiah. 
but it's no longer because he said that the, they were, they were, the scriptures were being tinkered with in his day. Okay. And he said, I'm going to read this. He says, who is he that enters into judgment with me? Let him stand up against me. And who is he who is justified? Let him draw near to the Lord's son. Woe unto you, wow. for you shall grow old as a garment, and the moth shall devour you, and all flesh shall be humbled and abased, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in the highest. Wow. We can't find that in Isaiah anymore, guys, oh, wow. but that's what that's, he claims. That sounds like Yeshua. <laughs> yes, yes. Also, um, the Septuagint, Isaiah 50, verse 8, uh, he that this is this is the closest we get is in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8 to that, and the Septuagint reads, for he that's justified um, he for he that has justified me draws near. Who is he that pleads with me? Let him stand up against me at the same time. Yea, he who pleads with me, let him draw near to me. And the and the Masoretic, of course, doesn't mention the Son either. But so even he was saying, this is what I was trying to tell you about. There's even been an evolution of the Septuagint. Um, the original Septuagint that Yeshua is quoting in the New Testament, and that Paul and Peter are quoting in the New Testament, was apparently, according to Irenaeus, even more revealing with prophecies about Yeshua. Wow. Even to the one where it says, and he who is justified, let him draw near to the Lord's son. Hmm. Wow. It's like you, we put our faith in Jesus to be justified, right? With God. How do you do that? Yeah. Draw near to the Lord's son. Right. So there's uh, one more real quick. Um, Irenaeus attributes this to Jeremiah. And he says, and the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, remembered his dead, which after time fell asleep in the dust of the earth. And he went down unto them to bring tidings of his salvation to deliver them. Do you think that this would help us in anti-missionary arguments if I still had this passage in Jeremiah? Uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Justin Martyr also attributes the passage to Jeremiah that they said was taken out during their day. The Lord God, and it's, this is the passage, the Lord God remembered his dead people of Israel who lay in the graves. He descended to preach to them his own salvation. Hmm. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so there's uh, there's a uh, there's Masoretes. so much Irenaeus also claimed that there's a passage in Jeremiah that was taken out and it's a very short one he says uh, blessed is he who was before he became a man Dang. supposedly that wow. was in Jeremiah somewhere wow like it's just there's it's it's sad it's super sad um, to see like just the lies that have been constantly perpetrated over time to try to hide the Messiah. I mean, yep. it's um, there. I've got one more. Um, well, unfortunately you can't uh, Josh. I'll, I'll drop this in the, I have a whole presentation on it that I'm reading from and I can okay. drop this in the live chat for them that the link to the video, but unfortunately like I don't have all the slides for them um, to look at one second here. All right. So is that part from a book, Sean? It's from Irenaeus and uh, Justin Martyr's writings. They talk about this in great detail. And so actually I titled this um, I titled this video Proof the Pharisees Hid Scripture to Hide Yeshua. <laughs> right? Yeah, I and think so, I've seen it. Yeah. It's, it's one I did like two or three years ago. But, you know, you mentioned Baruch earlier, Josh. Uh-huh. And Irenaeus attributes this to, uh, to Jeremiah, which Baruch was the one that wrote the book of Jeremiah. He was the scribe of Jeremiah. And he was a, he was a priest yeah. of God. So this is no longer in the book of Jeremiah, the way it's worded and everything. That's all these words that I'm about to read that Irenaeus said was in Jeremiah. He says, this is our God. There shall none other be accounted of in comparison with him. 
He has found out every way by knowledge and has given it unto Jacob, his servant, and to Israel that is beloved of him. Afterward, did he appear upon earth and was conversant with men? This is the book of the commandments of God and of the law, which endures forever. All they that hold it fast are appointed to life, but such as leave it shall die. Wow. So like, <laughs> again, the animationaries only have an argument if they believe the edited texts and then twist even what's in the edited texts to try to make their arguments. Right. So they've yep. been at this for a long time. Um, and another thing that I would highly encourage folks, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but uh, you just have to do your research on this. Uh, you got to look up the history of the Targums because the Targums were also taken back to Babylon after the second century AD and were inserted with didactic teachings. This is why no, not even the Pharisees included the Targums in their canons because they knew they were highly edited with opinion. And so they've even edited some, some very factual concepts in the Targums that directly contradict the canon that the Pharisees chose, which is like Genesis and things like that. So I would just be very careful and just understand there's a, like, I think when a believer gets saved, the first thing they should do is say, we're going to like, we're going to walk you through the like five, six basic steps of the faith, the fundamentals. And then we're going to give you a class on how you got your Bible. Mm -hmm. Because that, that's nobody, discipleship right there. nobody knows how we got our Bible and how it's been highly edited over time. And that there are testimony from the ancient times and other translations of it that have extra details that are, that help us overcome these arguments. And so, yep. yeah. There's apparently Jeremiah and Isaiah knocked it out of the park originally, but then over time, these manuscripts have been translated differently. Yeah, that's yeah, why I would like to see the up. word in its purest form. Oh, Dude. man. What number are we on? <laughs> no. <laughs> number 12, no. Uh, um, uh, we, I was about to address a number five. And um, for those who are, who are hearing about the, the word and some of the changes, don't let it discourage you from reading the Bible and just when you read it, c compare, look at the parallel versions of other, you know, all the different versions and really do due diligence. Look at the original words. Uh, Bible Hub is a really good source to do that. Bible Gateway. When people ask me what the best version is, all, all of them, use all of them. Uh, uh, study more than just one verse in the King James Version and say, OK, that's it. That's what it means in its original language. Look at context. It's really big. Uh, don't shy away from reading the Bible because there are things that have changed. That's more of a reason to yeah. turn to it. They would not change it if it wasn't dangerous. They wouldn't change it and alter it and spend all the time making all these different translations if there wasn't something powerful there. When you go to other religions, that's what you see. You see that they just have uh, a couple of translations. They don't have all of that. They don't have 45,000 denominations. So uh, it's it's a very powerful tool they've used to try and uh, fuel their arguments against the Messiah, against the Father. And uh, that's why we're here to, to fight those lies. I see a lot of good uh, debating going in, on in the comments <laughs> about the Trinity. And uh, I want to say again, read, uh, read Revelation 3.12 real slowly. I pray about it. Um, I'm not against anyone who believes in the uh, Roman Creed uh, version of the Trinity. It's just uh, really pray about it and read that. And look at what happens at the very end when the uh, Messiah gives everything back to the Father that was given to him. Just some uh, little words of advice there. Can, um, can I read one more before we move oh, on? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Feel so free. apparently Irenaeus also attributed this to Isaiah in the second century. 
He said, uh, it's a one-liner. It says, no mediator, no angel, but the Lord himself saved them because he loved them and spared them. He himself redeemed them. And this is what I was talking about, how many times we can find that term, the Holy One of Israel, in Isaiah. And if you guys yeah. remember Psalm 110, it says in the Hebrew, my Yahweh said to my Adonai, Yahweh said to yeah. my Lord, right? Yeah. So who's the Lord that saved them? It's Yahweh. It's his son that came down as Yeshua. That's how Yahweh can speak to the Lord, right? Just like for Paul, who was raised in Judaism and left Judaism to follow Christ in 1 Corinthians 8, says there's one true God and there's one Lord that's the son. So like all this is consistent. It's all very, very consistent. And I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but um, there was um, there's another quote that... Um, Oh, can I read this? Do you mind if I read this? Real yeah, quick? go ahead. Feel free. So this is from a book called Dialogue with Trifo. It's one of Justin Martyr's second century writings. Um, and he says, and I said, so he's having, he's actually talking, Trifo is a, is, a, is a Jewish gentleman. Justin Martyr was not. Okay. So they're having this conversation about Jesus. The whole book is basically mm -hmm. like Justin Martyr doing street evangelism. Like he's like yeah. sitting with these three Jewish guys and he's trying to tell them about Jesus and he's getting rebuttals and he's answering their rebuttals. Right. So he says, this is in chapter 71 and 72. He says, and I said, I shall do as you please from the statements then which Ezra's made in reference to the law and the Passover. They've taken away the following. And Ezra said to the people, this Passover is our savior in our refuge. If you have understood and your heart is taken in it, that we shall humble him on a standard. And therefore afterwards we hope in him. It's, that's the cross, man. Like we shall humble him on a standard and therefore afterwards we shall hope in him. Then this place shall never be forsaken forever, says the Lord God of hosts. But if you will not believe him and will not listen to his declaration, you shall be a laughing stock to the nations. And from the sayings of Jeremiah, they've cut out the following. I was like a lamb that is brought to the slaughter. They devised a device against me saying, come, let us lay wood on him. Uh, let us lay on wood excuse me, let us lay on wood on his bread and let us blot him out the land of the living. I'm sorry, one second. Um, my screen just messed up. And his name shall no more be remembered. And since this passage from the sayings of Jeremiah is still written in some copies of the scriptures in the synagogues of the Jews, for it is only a short time since they cut it out. So he's literally in the day where he's saying, guys, you have some manuscripts that still say this, and I've seen your new manuscripts where you've already cut it out. What page is that? He goes on to say, this is a Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 71, 72. Okay. And then he goes on to say, and since from these words, it's demonstrated that the Jews deliberately deliberated about the Christ himself to crucify and put him to death. He himself is both declared to be led as a sheep to the slaughter, as was predicted by Isaiah, and is here represented as a harmless lamb. But being in a difficult difficulty about these prophecies, they gave themselves over to blasphemy. And again, from the sayings of the same Jeremiah, these have been cut out. The Lord God remembered his dead people of Israel who lay in the graves. He descended to preach to them in his own salvation. Wow. So, wow. like, imagine wow. the testimony of someone in, like, just like we are in the modern day watching um, in real time the, the world news media actively change the narrative about what happened in the last two years with yep. all the ouchy Fauci juice. Right. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then like, we're seeing that, that type of uh, like that type of 1984 new speak 
instant real time yep. editing. Now, I don't know if anyone's read the book 1984, but like this I guy have. Winston. Yeah, he remember he worked in the editing department, the, the Ministry of Truth, yeah. right? Where he would like he would rewrite the news stories every day and take the old ones and throw them in the fire pit. So every day he's rewriting history so that they could fit the current narrative of the people in charge. And so here's a second century Christian who is just outright telling you, like, I've literally seen both manuscripts. I've seen wow. the scrolls that have the prophecies of Yeshua, and I've seen the new ones that you guys took all this stuff out. Like you guys are committing blasphemy just because you don't want to accept Yeshua. And he even quotes Ezra from the second century. That's also taken out saying that if you guys reject him, you'll become a laughing stock to the nations. Like that's anyway, sorry, I'm getting wow. passionate, but like, yeah, this, no, like it. this kind of stuff, like, again, learn the fundamentals of your faith and then immediately learn how you got your Bible. Look into the history of the different manuscripts, how much editing has been done. The, there's, there's a lot of information out there to find. It's not impossible. You have the internet. It's, that's all there. And I just encourage folks to really study how you got your Bible. You'll be greatly encouraged and you'll be able to overcome a lot of these arguments super easy. And you'll know scripture way better when you start doing that. Yeah. When you, it, when you compare the Septuagint and the Masoretic, like uh, I've seen a couple things. It's like, I won't go into them so we won't go on a tangent, but every time I do it, I'm like, wow. I, you find so many little nuggets in the Septuagint that was taken out of Masoretic. It's like, it's like looking for treasures, like getting your little beep, 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 beep on the beach. You're finding a yeah. piece of gold. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps you fight these battles because you can say, okay, well, look at this, you know, and um, my, my wife's real big about that. When I'll read a verse, she'll go, and then she sees me like quoting it wrong. She'll go, no, look at what this word means and, you know, look at where it was changed here. So it really does. It, it helps you. It, it can seem frustrating at times, but don't let it. These, these um, you're undoing the work of the enemy when you're, going in and studying these things yep. um, deeper than just what it actually, you know, what it says in the English language now. All right. Is that it? Gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to send you this uh, screenshot here. I don't know if it's even possible for you to put it on screen, but. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, not, Sean. Cause I have that book. I'm going to look that up. When, when yeah. The yeah. There's a, it's a great perspective, right? I don't think that those writings from Irenaeus and Justin Martyr are scripture by any means, but they're they're a historical perspective, yeah. right? Someone's valid testimony um, that's saying, hey, like, I've seen some shenanigans happening. You guys are twisting the text and cutting it up. Like, what's going on? What's I made this that? meme uh, like last year with Edward Scissorhands looking at the Bible being like, <laughs> you know, it's like that's that's what people do with the scriptures, man. They just look yeah. down at the scriptures with their scissors and like, what can I cut out of here? It's crazy. <laughs> My scripture eraser. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can pull that up here in a second. Um, I'll, I want to go ahead and uh, move into our final question, looking at the miracles that, uh, and I heard this in a video, the guy, uh, prominent anti-missionary said, you don't see anybody going around doing those types of miracles all the time in the, in the old, in the Tanakh. You know, you don't see that. And I, I just literally had finished a study comparing uh, just going through it, we did a, a video on this interconnected word, the, the miracles that happened with Elijah and Elisha. And when you, when you look at their, their miracles that they did the, or through the father's Holy spirit, these guys weren't magical. Um, when it talks about the, the spirit of Elijah, the spirit he had on him was the father's Holy spirit. And he anointed Elisha and uh, the miracles when you look at them and you compare all three 
of these figures, it's it's really cool. Water's being parted with both of them, with Elijah and Elisha. And then, of course, Yeshua, he walked on water. Didn't have to part it. His, his faith was stronger. And so no need to even go out and move these waters. I'm just going to walk. <laughs> uh, it is really cool. Uh, 40 days without food. You see that with other uh, figures. I think, was it Moses? Also 40 days without food. Yep. Uh, the miracles of replenishing food was a big one. That happened with all three of them. And when you look at their names, uh, Eliyahu was how you would have pronounced Elijah in the, the Hebrew uh, pronunciations, and Elisha would have just been Elisha. And the and I was staring at their names, and I thought, it's weird that they start exactly the same. You know, like their parents named them, like, okay, you're going to have the exact same first three letters in your name. So there's parents that do that. Um, but you see their names, and it makes you think of that. El Eliyahu and Elisha. And that's why when, when Jesus was on the cross, or Yeshua was on the cross, he was saying, they heard Eli, Eli, and they thought he was trying to call out to Elijah. They're like, oh, look at this guy. He's calling out to Elijah. Well, you take away those uh, first three letters that are the same, and you have the, the endings of their names. It literally makes a version of Yahusha, which a lot of people say that's how you pronounce it. I think the Sefer has it that way. Um, I never really get too deep into the name debates, but I thought that was cool how a double portion of the Spirit was passed on to Elisha, and the endings of their names together uh, make his name when you remove the similar parts. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the prophecy here in Malachi, right before you get into the New Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the, of the heart of the fathers to the children and the, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so there's prophecies about that. And when you look at, all of the miracles, and I don't know if I've got these numbers exactly right. Um, I tried my best when I was doing this study. But the miracles and prophecies of Elijah, there was about 14. And Elisha asked for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And what happened when you look at the, the uh, miracles that happened with Elisha, they were double, 28. Where it gets cool, mm. when you look at the Messiah... And it goes even further. It's like another double portion right there. And so uh, really cool how not only you did see the miracles that the Messiah did, you also see a connection in prophecy. And uh, my wife has a really deep study on this that still makes my, my brain hurt because she looks really deep into things. And uh, it's really powerful with that spirit of Elijah. Who's, he wasn't, he did, like I said before, he didn't have a magical spirit. It was the Father's Holy Spirit. And it's the same with Yeshua. The Spirit was upon him when he was at the baptism uh, with John the Baptist. Let me see if I can find the uh, verses about that. Because it was it was Elijah that anointed Elisha. And then here you have the Holy, the, uh, Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And I think a lot of times people picture it being like a dove, but it, that's that's the description. It was in bodily shape like a dove so it flew down like a dove you know so it, it not saying that it was a dove and i think all the paintings i look up when i look at the baptism scene you see a little dove there floating <laughs> yeah but I, I i just think that that was a powerful scene in showing you that connection and that's when all these miracles started happening literally doubled and probably more than doubled but as far as the recorded accounts when you look at them uh that's what you see and so it's like a, real, like really a John cool Wood movie there. from the nineties, just doves, yeah. just, <laughs> just doves everywhere. Yeah. 
So uh, definitely lots of prop, lots of um, miracles there done, pointing to what was going to happen with the Messiah. I think that is really, in my opinion, powerful when you start looking at how interconnected the word is, and how it point how it was pointing to that. Now, now, doesn't Eli mean servant? Eli, the actual prefix Eli. I thought it meant servant, but I could be wrong. I'm trying to remember, I, I took that slide out where it broke their names down. Come on, Josh. <laughs> I know. Because I know that like Eliezer means um, helped by God. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could be wrong. I can't remember right now. Yeah, I had it pulled up on my other presentation. I can pull it up. But yeah, their names. I was looking at the meanings of their names, too. That is really cool, though, when you break the names down. It, you can almost pull Yeshua's name out. That's pretty cool. But I just want to say something about this argument. And I, I guess quite a few of the anti-missionary arguments is is they have this thing painted in their head, like this litmus test. If it doesn't say exactly this in the Old Testament, yeah. we're not going to accept Yahshua. And so a lot of their arguments are based on that. It's like, it's not realistic. It's just, yeah, it's nonsense. It's the, it's the equivalent of like an atheist saying, well, unless I find this sentence in the Bible and, and the atheist name is Frank, yep. and they're looking for the verse that says, <laughs> Frank... I am real. I am God of creator of heaven and earth. Believe in me. Yes. Like they're looking for these exact little words. Mm. And it's this, I agree with you. Good point, Matthew. Yep. Yeah. And the name Elisha, which I thought that was cool. They share more of the same miracles is the, the same meaning. Yahuwah is salvation. Just like Yeshua means Yahuwah is salvation. So, I mean, just, just really cool there. The, the way this stuff is connected. Did you have something, Matt, you were wanting to pull up? Uh, well, I'm about to jump off here, but I'm trying to see if I can something else I can share before I get off here. Just okay. Can't stay on too long just because of my yeah, I know you got living situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing his biblical duties. Trying to stay on as long as I can. All right, and we'll I'll go back in here in just a second and try to find questions you guys might have had. If you've had any and you've asked them in the past, you may want to ask them again because they get lost in the in, oh, the, yeah. in the flood of comments. It's a float. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, once saved, always saved is a doctrine from the devil. Chester, I believe. Yeah, I've seen a lot of debating going on in the comments. Yeah, that's supposed to be about the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tough one. And again, pray. It's, it's tough. I've been wrong about things and been angry and... You know, my wife or whoever I was dealing with, be patient with me and say, just, you know, just plant some seeds. And, you know, the yeah. Father, whenever we're ready, will start watering those seeds and they'll grow. Oh, my. Uh, sadly, I think I need to jump off here. So I appreciate yeah. it, brothers. And I yeah. hope you all have an awesome rest of this stream. Yeah, we're about to we're about to close it down. I know you guys have busy lives and wives and all the, the good stuff the blessings going on and uh tricky subject said, I'm looking for a good teacher who understands that he could be wrong and not that he is wrong. And that's good. That's what we should all be. We should never be putting our trust in man, but understanding that we could be wrong, uh, especially with all the confusion and all the influences we've all had, we're all coming out of the same false beliefs. So, um, yeah, see you. See you brother Matthew. I know you had to head out. Um, 
Yeah, I was going to say Matthew's one of those. I've watched him change his opinion on things as we speak. <laughs> we'll be talking about something and he'll he'll go, what? What did you just say? Let me look into that. And then he'll come back with a different understanding. And uh, Sean's the same way. That's why I started really following him and respecting him, seeing all the stuff he'd came out of. And, uh, and, and I'm leery of people. It's really hard to find somebody you trust that's a good teacher and that is humble. And especially someone like Sean, I saw that he has all this knowledge and I'm like, there's no way he can be humble and know all this stuff. And um, I, start, I started hearing his testimony and um, how his heart changed, how he got to know who the father was on a more personal level like I did. And it made me think, man, this is, this is something, this is someone I need to uh, partner up with, learn from. And I'm learning all the time. Doesn't mean I'm going to see everything the same way he does, or he's going to see everything the same way I do. It's just that it's uh, really good to, to join in with people like that who are on this journey and have done a lot of research. He's got hundreds of videos that break some of this stuff down far better than we could have done in a quick two hour video here. Josh, I appreciate the compliment. Yeah. And what's funny though, is a lot of people, um, they, they would think that I, um, am not humble. They think that I'm prideful and arrogant mm -hmm. and all this. And, and a lot of times people get really confused when they, they hear someone speak with conviction and confidence yeah, versus speaking without knowledge pridefully or arrogantly. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, I'm not, you know, the things that, that I have researched, I do speak confidently about, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of the thing where, um, some people get really mad and some people just like, they just like calling you arrogant just because you have an actual scriptural answer mm -hmm. that refutes their misunderstanding or their bad doctrine they were taught or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you start bringing up all the scriptures, like, especially you know, we've talked about the Trinity as a sub sub tangent tonight quite a bit, yeah. but like, especially in that conversation as well, you start bringing up all the scriptures that, that refutes that ideology and people get really out of pocket. They get really mad mm -hmm. at you, you know, and think that you're being arrogant. And I'm like, bro, look, are we going, are we basing our faith off the scriptures or not? You know, like, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not sure. I just know that I've researched this and I can explain it 15 different ways. Which way would you like? You yeah. I mean, like, and if you can't even rebut what I'm saying, you just keep repeating whatever your mantra you were taught, then it's showing me that you haven't researched it. And so then we're at an impasse here, right? We got yeah. one guy who's researched it and one guy who hasn't, you know? And so like, I'm not calling you arrogant for not researching it and just repeating your mantra. You're calling me arrogant because I'm trying to show you what I have researched and I'm providing that information to you. You know what I mean? So like it's, yeah. it, you start seeing people kind of like feel like they're being in a corner and they start trying to like lash out, you know? And, uh, but that you just kind of have to like, let that, you know, let that ride, you know, just like, yeah, just, be uh just continue to be patient and just try to give them as much scripture to chew on as possible because I I'm the weird like I had this track coach in in school his name was Coach Naylor and he was always trying to recruit me for track and cross country every year because I played other sports but I didn't play those but like he was he would like at least once a year he would like pin you down in the hallway at school and, and give you this speech about how you know how you're a great runner and you need to be in track and coat in field and run cross country team and all this and um. So we, I mean, we love coach Naylor. Like we never gave him a hard time. It was just funny. Like he was so consistent with this and he taught my, uh, one of my history classes and he would always say, uh, he's like, Griffin, you just got to buy by the, by the kiss principle. Just keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was coach Naylor's life advice. Wow. And he says, and I'm, he's, I'm telling you this cause I was a road scholar and everyone was like, what's a road scholar. It's like, I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. So <laughs> we, uh, 
but that you know that kind of stuck with me all my life yeah. right like what would happen if i just kept it simple and mm-hmm. when it comes to reading uh liter- literature like the, the the way that you keep it simple is you just look up the definitions of words and you just try to read the context surrounding the passage you know like what's the what's the whole chapter say what's the what's the chapter before and after it say am i missing something here let's look at the context let's look up the definition of that word that's being used and before you know it, man, you just like the Bible makes complete sense. Like you just yeah. keep it simple. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, the, the pattern that we see a lot of fellow believers do, especially in the United States, is they hear one passage and then they go they go to Google and try to watch a video from a pastor on it. And then you're just getting like all this interpretation built in. Right. As opposed yeah. to just like going to the scriptures and reading the whole passage, the whole chapter, you know, takes time, takes some discipline. <laughs> And, uh, and try to like look up the definition of the words that you don't immediately understand, you know, and then before you know it, like you can answer these questions on your own. You know, this is how you and I, Josh, this is how we came to these scriptures that we presented tonight, mm-hmm. right? We had to take a moment to look them up and, and realize that these arguments being put forward were not really founded very well. They were just taking some scriptures out of context. So I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Yeah, I'm blessed that you could join because this is a a battle that I feel like will become more prevalent. As soon as you see these lies and the enemy sees they're working to hinder people's walks, you'll see that like YouTube and all these places will start promoting them like the debunkers of the, the creation mm-hmm. truth movement. Um, that's what you start to see. And so I, I know that if it's something I've experienced with people that I love and care about, that it could happen to some of you guys. So knowing what anti-missionary is all about or anti-messiah uh, is all about, it's good to have things to help people out that are being misled and be patient with them and say, you know, that this person is showing you this stuff. They don't really fully understand the Messiah's role. Um, and I know a lot of us growing up really didn't either. We just heard the, the catchphrases that we talked about earlier on and what the beloved son did and our example to live by goes so much more beyond uh, just a few little catchphrases. We really need to, to get to spend time with the father. He told us to do that. A lot of people yeah. get mad at me. They say, you don't mention the name Jesus Christ enough. You don't do this the right way. And, you know that, and, I, and all, I hear, all I have to say is I'm living by the example he gave me. And the, when they say the name Jesus Christ, his, he didn't have a last name. It wasn't like his first name was Jesus. His last name was Christ. That's a title. That, that title, the anointed one, the Messiah, it's, it was what they knew him as. And it wasn't exactly a last name. So I'm not avoiding saying his name because I don't like him. Um, I'm talking about when I talk about the father, I'm living by the example that he gave me. And I do not deny his role and his sacrifice that he made uh, that I couldn't have made. And uh, it's something that is that it's an example that's humbled me because he made time with the father a priority. He was always going out and seeking him. He told us to say, thy will be done. He was giving us that example, and then he went. What he do? He lived out that example when he knew he he could have avoided it. He could have said, "I can't do it. It's too much." Okay, it wouldn't happen. Um, but he went through with it and let his father's will be done. And so that's why we're here. And uh, with kingdom hey, in context, Josh, yeah. Have you ever noticed that with anti missionaries, it's it's a specific um, approach? Have you ever noticed that their approach, their their uh, their goal? Um, their target is Christians and not Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists. Or <laughs> Taoists or... You ever noticed that? I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't they out there trying to evangelize, uh, you know, Buddhists? That's a really, really, really good point. That's one thing I'd, I'd never even 
Never yeah. even thought about that. Yeah, they... it's a specific spirit, guys. Yeah, it's, this it's... is like I said, it's the party of circumcision that yeah. they. In fact, I even heard out on the the rabbi that I debated. He actually said this to me. Like two, we debated for like three and a half hours, right? This long conversation. Yeah. And about two hours in, he says to me, "So you know, you know the Torah. Why don't you just go and become Judaism? Just become converted?" And I'm like. <laughs> You you deny the father and the son. Why would I do that? Like, why why yeah. would I possibly want to do that? So, it, but that their mindset is it's easier to take a Christian because the Christian has been familiarized with the scriptures, mm-hmm. and then but they know that most Christians don't actually read the fullness of the scriptures. The scriptures they just been familiarized with. You know, Jesus came from Israel. You know, creator of heaven and earth is where we get the scriptures through the prophets. Like they, they know Christians know that much, and so they they depend on that to be easy targets for them to come in and try to evangelize them away from the greatest prophet the Father ever sent us, which is the Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And then they twist things to make these arguments, and and but they don't do that to Hindus and Muslims, and like they just do it to Christians. And you're like, bro, wow. shouldn't that be like super obvious? Yeah, you know. And think about Hindus and Muslims, right? Have you ever been approached by a Hindu trying to evangelize you away from Christianity? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Like n- now, Muslims will like, yeah. but but they but Muslims believe that the book is is one of four different books that they think are all scripture, and mm-hmm. so they they like there's a large sect of Muslims that are told that Christians are part of the people of the book that uh, that's mentioned in the Quran, so therefore. You know, they should treat Christians nicely. And then there's more extreme versions of, of mm-hmm. Muslims that do not treat Christians nicely. Um, but Taoists, Taoists, Buddhists, Hindus, obviously, you know, Satanists, they don't treat Christians nicely and they try to evangelize you away from the faith. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, it's very interesting that yeah. a specific group called anti-missionaries um, have, a, have this, you know, this itch that they got to scratch. They're yeah. like, oh, you believe in Jesus? So that means you believe in Yahweh. Well, you, oh, that's wonderful. Why don't you just stop believing in Jesus now yeah. and just believe in Yahweh? And you're like, why? But Yahweh said he was going to send somebody for me. I need that person. He was going to send. Why would I, you know, we didn't even touch on, touch on Deuteronomy 18 tonight, you know, Yeah. which is if you raise a prophet up like unto Moses, you know what I mean? Um, that, that the general principle in the Torah is that if the father sends you a prophet, you need to listen to him. Otherwise you're rejecting the father, you know? And so that's, to me, that's just, it's all very black and white. You know, the father said he's going to send somebody. That person came and fulfilled all those scriptures. Um, and that's just from head knowledge. But then no anti-missionary can ever take away my experiential knowledge, which is my walk that I've had for tw- since 1997 with Christ, where he's done miracles in my life. He's shown me amazing things. He's had like gifts, uh, acts of the spirit, gifts of the spirit have happened in my life and they've happened to me. So they've happened both through me and to me. You know what I mean? Like wild, amazing stuff. You know what I mean? That yeah. that 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 cannot be counterfeited by Satan. That is told to us in the Word is an example of you interacting with the Father and His Spirit. So not only do I have the head knowledge to know two plus two equals four, but I now have the experiential knowledge to know not only is it all very real, but He's an actively working in my life and other people's lives to strengthen their faith and get them ready to be resurrected. And I just praise Him for it, like. Amen. Hallelujah. My wonderful savior. I praise him. He is amazing. And, um, and he's shown me way too much for out of context arguments by people who hate him to sway me away. Well said. Yeah, that is, that's such a, such good points and powerful, especially even when you, when you were talking about that with 
them targeting just Christians. Same with atheists. I have a lot of atheists or so-called atheists, and I never hear them talk about other, you know, religious, no. you know, other gods. It's always just the one no. that we serve. It's always who it is. It's always about his son and him. And I, I never really thought about that, but that makes a really good case because that's what you see <clears throat> time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. You got any, any uh, closing statements or anything else you wanted to share? I want to go ahead and let everybody, um, if anybody has any questions for Sean before he goes, he does Q and A's like every Sabbath. I'd say almost every Sabbath. And I, I try to get on YouTube and catch those whenever I can have the notifications turned on. And if you see a time, maybe set an alarm on your phone so you don't miss it. It's tough when I, sometimes I get there and they're like, all right, see you guys. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I missed it. So um, if you really are serious about learning, check out his work. He has two channels. I will see if I can bring his little, oops, add the stream. There you go. Um, Kingdom in Context. I thought I added his other channel. The Brave Believer is on there. He's, he does both. It used to be Kingdom Cast, uh, where he did a lot of his lives on there. But uh, very blessed to be learning from you as we, got, as we grow and uh, help fight these fights. This is spiritual warfare. When we go out against these people like this, the anti-missionaries, those that are against the Messiah, those he, he doesn't just focus on that. He, he has a background in understanding the truth about creation. And it's, it's a... Uh, it's, he's a powerful uh, tool to have is his, the work that he's already done. Right, so we, uh, we had one little question in the chat about um, they're asking on first John or one, I think they said one John, but I, I think they mean John one. Yeah. I think yeah, they mean think John they one. Mean, yeah. yeah about okay. Jesus being the word and verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, you know, in verse one, it says the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God. So, Right there, a distinction of two people. I know that there's lots of debate on this chapter in, the, in mm -hmm. the, this particular verse in the Greek. But even if you just take it in any translation that there's out there, whether it's the Trinitarian or the Unitarian translation, it still says the same thing. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. Right. So the Word was God and was with God. So like we talked about earlier, this word God um, is something for a being that's not of mankind, right? You know, Josh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains there's two different types of flesh. There's the, the flesh of the celestial beings, and then there's the flesh of earthy beings, right? Mm -hmm. Those who are made of the dirt for mankind, that's one type of flesh. And then the glory of another flesh are those celestial, the spiritual beings. So the word God is used all throughout Old and New Testament for the Almighty God and also the angels or sp other spiritual beings. Right. This is why the unclean spirits are called false gods. See what I mean? Yep. So the Almighty, that's why he has the word the Almighty. That like uh you read in first Enoch 46 earlier, the Lord of Spirits. So he's the ruler of all the spirits, right? So he's the most high God, the Almighty, but then under him is the Son and all the angels. They're also considered spiritual beings and rulers over the earth because they live in heaven above. So they're also given the term God, but you just have to look at the connotation or the context of how that term is being applied. Who's it talking about? So how can the word be God and also be with God? Well, okay. makes perfect sense <laughs> if I understand that the Father and the Son both existed before the Father became a man, before the Son became a man. The Father and the Son were in heaven together. They were both considered Elohim or Theos in the Greek. They're both of that, of that status class of being a God, but yet the Almighty, the Father, is the Most High God, right? He's the Almighty. 
So Yeshua was still a God in that vernacular, right? In that terminology that, that Paul's trying to break down the difference in 1 Corinthians 15. Like he was a spiritual being who came in the flesh, right? So this is, a, this is how he emptied himself, Philippians 2, 7. He emptied himself and then found himself in the appearance and likeness of a man. You see what I mean? So he was an Elohim status. He was like a godlike status in that type of ontology, that type of spiritual nature. So that's how he can be the word. In the beginning was the word. Yeshua was the word. And he was Elohim. He was a status of that nature. He was with the Almighty. And as and then all things that were made, and there was nothing that was not made that was not made through him. Amen and hallelujah. And then in verse 14, that word, that Elohim, became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is... To me, that's my my very clear understanding of of if you just like I said earlier, Josh, if you just look up the definition of the word God used in John one and you see that it has more than one definition and you start to realize, oh, I see. So I need to understand the context. So, yeah, there's um, very simple, very simple. Yeshua existed in heaven above as an Elohim, as a Theos, also loosely translated as God, but he was not the most high God. There was already the Almighty is the Most High God, so yeah. The, uh, the person asking about him existing uh, before the earth, we just we read a verse earlier in this video from Enoch that Enoch was shown that that he was right there with the Father, and it talks about it perfectly. Um, so you can go back and watch that. It's I'm trying to think what verse that was. Let me see if I can pull that up. Now, and a lot of people talk about the Word of God. Uh, mean they want to make that term the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was god i personally think that the term word in that in that passage is referring to the message mm -hmm. so like in the beginning was the message that the son was going to be sent like just like you read from enoch 46 right there this son of man that's being introduced and being named before all the other spirits is the one who will be the light to the nations that's a message about the son of man about the son of god and that message of hope that is the, the nations will put their hope in him and will trust he will be a staff on which the Gentiles can, you know, can lean on. Like that is a message. Um, that is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The hope of those who grieve in their hearts. Like that's, that's a beautiful message. The father announced before even the sun, moon and stars were created. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Like that's a wonderful message that then became, you know, the, the that was the word that was given, you know, Word, 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 words, yeah. word. So like that was the message that became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Is like he fulfilled and embodied that promise by the father, which was, I will bring peace to the world and creation and I'll do it through my son, the son of man. Yeah. And that's, that's my understanding. Yeah. And that's why when Peter, when he asked, he actually asked them, who do you know, who do you say I am? Not who anybody else says I am, but who do you guys say I am? And Peter said, you're the son of God. And he's like, my father in heaven revealed this to you. And so that was the rock that he was going to found his church on is him being the son of the most high. And so the false church is going to try to found it on anything other than that. So when you see anything that goes against what the Messiah says right there, um, it ends up without realizing it seems innocent like a lot of other lies, but it denies the father and the son. And so it's, it's an important topic. It helps your prayer, your prayer life when you understand how to pray, how he was telling us to pray, because that's where my first confusion on this topic began as I was hearing some people pray to Jesus and I was hearing some people pray to the Father. And I just said, Father, I want you to show me the truth on this. I want to know how to pray. 
And he pointed me to the example his son gave me, and that was to pray to him, pray to the Father that his will be done. And mm -hmm. so we have the Father that we're speaking to, and we also have the Messiah going to him on our behalf, which was his, his role in heaven now. Josh, could you go back to the slide right before this one, the beginning of that passage? So it says, the answer being said to me, this is the Son of Man who has righteousness with whom righteousness dwells. Um, I think you, you didn't include it in, the, in, the, in this particular quote, but the verse mm -hmm. right before it says he answered me was Enoch is asking the angel, who is this person going with the Almighty, with the Lord of Spirits? Mm -hmm. Right? And this is where, um, because it says, hang on, let me find, a, find the passage real quick and I'll read it. Um, because this is also in John chapter 1. Yeah. And uh, it says, and there was one like, this is Enoch 46, verse 1. Oh, you have it right here. Yeah, sure. And I asked one of the holy angels who went with me and showed me all the secrets about that son of man, who he was, from where he was. Um, and I saw one who had head of days, and his head was like white as wool. And with him, there was another whose face had the appearance of the man. His face was full of grace, like the one of the holy angels. If now we take that, did you compare this with John 1 already? Yeah, I was doing that. Yeah, I was looking at this because I was highlighting in red everything that was that was talking about um, yeah. the sun. And then because I, in, in John 1 17, um, it says for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is God. Like I talked about before. Right. Yeah. And is at the father's side has made him known. And so this is what. Enoch is seen in Enoch 46 and also 48 that there was one and I think it's also in Enoch 48 it talks about um, the son of man was hidden in the bosom of the father well that's that's being at the father's side yeah and I think it's um, at that hour the son of man was named in the presence of the Lord of Spirits and his name is before the head of days truly before the sun and signs are created before the stars of heaven were made his name was named for the Lord of Spirits um and it says, and for this reason, he is chosen and hidden before him, before the creation of the world and forevermore. So this is, uh, anyway, I just, it, to me, it's, it's like, you know, John clearly knew what Enoch had already written. And, and even if he didn't, he's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing down the exact same description of the son before he became in the flesh, who was at the father's side for this very purpose to be manifested in the flesh later, to be a hope for all the nations and for Israel and for the, and to be a light to the Gentiles. So there's, there's another thing, uh, Josh, I don't think we touched on and we don't have to go too far into this. I know you want to shut down the show. Um, a lot of the anti-missionaries, they, they come from Judaism. Uh, they all yeah. come from Judaism. Okay. So if people aren't aware Judaism, and, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to speak very strategically here because I don't want the ADL to, to strike this video. Yeah. <laughs> We don't want to turn into Kanye West here. Hey. Judaism has basically they, and this is this is apparent even in Acts chapter ten. They had a prejudicial, and they still do a prejudicial view of the rest of the world. They believe they're the chosen people of God, and that special circumstances are given to them, special favor is going to be shown to them, and that they're going to rule over the nations as they are. And they take these, these ideas from the promises in the prophets about how Yeshua rules over the nations because he's a servant of Yahweh to do so and mm -hmm. teach righteousness. But Judaism twists it for a version that different version of it to where they, they, a lot of it's mixed in with Zionism, which is a political movement about how they want to establish a specific political military land boundaries that would then rule over the other nations. 
and and have the authority of God to do so. So they twist the promises of the kingdom come and the fulfillment of the Messiah for their own immediate political gain, as well as their own immediate political evangelism efforts in saying that they, they claim in a lot of these arguments that, Oh, well, we don't like they, this is why they would absolutely want to reject the Messiah because the, the promise of the Messiah was not just for Israel. It was for all the other nations, the Gentile nations. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. This is what Isaiah 42 and 49 talks about, the Enoch 46 passage, as well as Romans 15. So Paul is repeating this in Romans 15, right? He's going to be a light to the Gentiles on whom they will trust and hope. He is a savior to all who call on him in faith and belief. It's not the Father's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This mm-hmm. is what Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2. You know, that this is the one that, that was prophesied who would be for all the nations if, if you just repent and believe. You know what I mean? Judaism does not agree with that theology. That message of repentance to all people, Judaism does not agree with that. No. So this is a fundamental uh, fundamental difference that a lot of people don't understand. They don't understand that that Judaism teaches exclusionary prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the, the, the message of our Messiah is, hey, if anyone that can hear my voice, repent and you can be saved. You just have to repent and start discipling like Jesus. So he can, he knows that you want it and he'll raise you to eternal life later, right? So like he, he just, this is a, a fundamental big difference that no one hardly ever addresses about this. And I, that this is why the message of the gospel is so unique and why Judaism has to reject it because it's a part of their teachings. They don't want the Gentiles to get saved. Yeah. They, they want be, they want, you know, Israel first and then Israel rule over other people in subjugation. This is how even modern day Hebrew Israelites have twisted that message and made it even worse with their very vir- virulent dogma, which is unscriptural as well. So, Man, I'll, I'll jump off the soapbox. Yeah, no, it's Starbrother. painful. I, I remember wanna... my wife was like, oh, I like what a lot of these people are saying. And then she was like, wait, they're prejudiced against me. You know, like, they don't they don't they don't want us to be a part of their little group. And I'm like, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Don't listen to that. You know, it's like you hate when you see your your wife get upset because you're like they, they see some of the good things these people are saying, like the uh, what is it? The Hebrew Israelites. And she's like, oh, that's really cool. And then, oh, no, they don't like me. Darn. <laughs> They, they don't. <laughs> they really don't. Yeah, brother. There's actually a, a really good YouTube channel that um, I now I I don't agree with his Trinitarian theology, but he's a brother in the faith, and I think he does an incredible work battling the Hebrew Israelite arguments. And his name is Vocab Malone. He's on YouTube, and okay. um, he's I've been following him for about two or three years now. And he does he goes out and he'll go up to him on the street and try to tear share the scriptures with them and show them where they're taking scriptures out of context. And he tries to confront them and he's taking the time to learn all their denominational ideology and, and refute it. So if you guys are ever struggling with Hebrew Israelite theology, um, go check out vocab Malone on YouTube. So now, how do you spell it? How do you spell his name? V is in uh, victorious V O C A B B is in boy vocab. And then Malone M A L O N E. Okay. Yeah, he does a great job refuting all their all their teachings and bad doctrines and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, he he'd probably be a cool dude to have on. I mean, you guys are going to disagree in the Trinity, but he, he you know, if maybe just yeah. before he comes on, he'd be like, "Hey, let's just stick to the Hebrew Israelite arguments." <laughs> he's dude yeah. is a wealth of knowledge, man. He can really that's awesome. He can yeah, really I, I, I saw somebody use the word anti-trinitarian in the in the comments, and that's not me. Like, I am not against trinitarians. <laughs> like, I'm you know, yeah. like I'm we're all here to grow. 
Um, I'm against the, the false teachings of Rome. I'm obviously against that, but it doesn't mean we're against you if you believe that the Son is the Father. It just means we, we really want you to pray about it just like we have. It's, it's not something that I want to send you away from this ministry and our fellowship together. And like, that's just it. We can't fellowship anymore. I have learned so much from some really knowledgeable Trinitarians. And there's some that are more knowledgeable about the word uh, than I am. And it's just, it's, it's, um, it's based on a lot of work that's been done that takes really seeking the, the father on this and just asking him directly, show me the truth on this, but you have to humble yourself. That's why, his son said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those that are humble. You got to humble yourself. If you don't, you'll be stuck in the same belief system uh, for the rest of your life. It takes humbling and uh, searching. And if we've said anything wrong in here, I was praying before this, that if if we say anything wrong, correct us on the spot. You know, let the spirit guide us and say, OK, wait a minute. Let me think about this. Um, I do not want to be a false teacher. That's why it took me forever to really start getting into doing Bible videos and biblical discussions like this because i wanted to really study and learn and i'm still we're all in that process together studying learning and so i don't consider myself a teacher yet just someone who's trying to point you in the direction of studying and being humble and uh uniting with people like sean and matt and so many out there uh, some of our patrons we do patron hangouts and we have patrons that know more than than i could ever study in my lifetime that share stuff with us we have our fellowship so uh please do go and check out Sean and his wife, Lindsay. They, they work together. She's awesome. She comes in and joins in on the fellowship. Um, we're coming up. Oh, I do want to mention one thing. I hope I didn't cut it off on my, uh, let me see if I can find it on my slides here. We'll be traveling <clears throat> across the country this summer and uh, be going out. I'm, I'm not really sure. I know Sean doesn't want to give out his address. It's hard when you're, when you're a famous YouTuber, but um, we'll be going. Oh, we'll, come, to, we'll come see you in Saratoga. Yeah, Saratoga. That, How far about, is that from you, roughly? I don't know. Is that uh, it's about an uh, hour and a half, maybe two hours. Okay, yeah. My wife's yeah, like, I'll, I'll come see you. She's like, I know you if, probably want to see Sean if we go off that way. So where, whereabouts do you think he lives? And so I was like, I think he lives around this area. And so she picked something as close as she could find. Um, but yeah, we'll be we'll be traveling in all these dates. Not These are not giant meetups or anything. Just anybody that wants to fellowship in the Flagstaff, Arizona area on July 1st, Anaheim, California, July 8th. Uh, Saratoga, Wyoming, July 15th. Might get to meet Sean and Lindsay. We can get them there. Um, and then Wisconsin Dells on July 22nd. So um, anyone near there want to come gather? Just humble little meetups. We're not going to be, it's on Sabbath, so we're not going to be buying some venue or doing anything special. Um, probably just hanging out, a handful of people, um, unless you guys have somewhere really nice and fancy over there where we can hang out. Um, uh, send us an email. Our email should be in the description flatearthbrothers at gmail.com. But yeah, I look forward to this and hopefully getting to meet Sean again. I got to meet you in person. That was, uh, like I said, at the event when you were leaving there, you'd, you got to speak about uh, Babylon. And um, I was like, man, I feel like I could die happy now. I got to meet Sean and uh, <laughs> it was really, it was really humbling. He's really calming and real and on, on the internet, but you meet him in real life. He's just real calm. I was expecting I was going to like freak out and faint. But instantly when I met him, he was just like real calm, like, hey, brother. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm not as, not as uh, much of a fanboy and passing out like I thought I would. It was really cool. I did leave yeah. my car running. He's like, you left your car running. I'm like, oh, I have a car. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm super laid back. I just I get excited about scriptures, and that's almost it these days. Yeah. Like, I'm just I'm pretty chill and I, for everything else. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a blessing. But I hope to get to meet Lindsay, too. And I want her to I want you guys to meet my wife and, and better half as well. And 
whoever's in those areas along the way as we journey. I'm, I was kind of dreading the trip, but I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to meet some people and um, having fun. My wife loves to travel, and I don't want to be the Debbie Downer of the group and be like, oh, this is so far. Oh, I wanna... Why'd you guys pick Saratoga? What, what, um, what caused well, you to pick that? Well, she was she was asking me, um, okay, where do you want to go and what things do you want to see? And and I'm telling her, she goes, well, you know, th- where does Sean live out that way if we're going out west? And so I was like, I think he's in Wyoming or near Colorado. I really don't know exactly. Um, so she's like, all right, yeah, I'll pick the, something near we're there. We're like towards the border of Colorado and Wyoming, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we could uh, – I mean – if you guys are not dead set on Saratoga, we can talk behind the scenes and there might be a, yeah. there might be a more centralized place where there's more towns nearby for other people to join your fellowship. And, and obviously, like I said, we can, you know, unless there's some other big thing happening, we should be able to go. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll work some of this stuff out. This is early plans. I literally typed these dates and locations in like an hour before this started. So I was like, I might as well mention that uh, before I forget. And that way people like Sean could help set something up or you guys that are close can say, Hey, I've got a farm or something nearby and we'll let the spirit move there and fellowship along the way. But, uh, I'll go ahead and end the broadcast for you guys that are tuning in. I thank you for your kindness, your kind words and being a part of this ministry. It's humbling to see all of you. I would, I do want to see the the floodgate, so to speak, open for Sean's ministry and more people go that way. He is shadow banned. If you find something of his that you really like, share it like subscribe you know youtubers say that all the time but like subscribe become one of his patron supporters and uh, share his work everywhere you can battling these anti-missionaries and people that are against the father's truth and uh you will be definitely blessed for that i've I've been fortunate enough to meet people that have had their lives changed by his ministry and so uh continue to help thank you yeah any last words before we let them go yeah jesus is the truth so let's uh Let's walk in the in the light of life. Let's be let's be disciples, and let's try to do the example of our Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, and because uh, he literally, like Hebrews one three, he says he was the express image of God. So, um, no no better example to follow after and disciple after. So, I just want to hope everyone studies the scriptures and just you know would encourage you to to really dig and and look into what Jesus taught because that's uh that's how I got to where I am as I thought yeah. like what if I just memorized everything that Jesus said, how would my life change? And then it became like this fascination with the Bible and the word and the kingdom of God. And because what Jesus taught was life changing. So yeah, that's the gospel of the kingdom. You're the first one I've ever really heard as a teacher that harps on gospel of the kingdom. And I'm like, and then you just type it in on Bible gateway and it's like gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom, gospel. (laughs) And I'm like, man, there's more to this. Why didn't I ever, it's like almost like the, the Bible could just be slapping you in the face with these words. And you just, you just breeze right past them, and it's it's really cool to to see your focus on that. And it makes yeah, and, and even like all the everyone, you know, like Acts eighteen, mm-hmm. Acts twenty, Acts twenty eight. Paul he preached the gospel, of the kingdom concerning Jesus Christ. So like it was, uh, you know, he he didn't leave Jesus out. Obviously, he preached Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but he also preached the gospel, of the kingdom everywhere he went, because it is the you know the fulfillment of when Yeshua returns. So, yeah. peace on earth, kingdom come. Amen. Well said. Thank you guys for tuning in, family. Blessed to have Sean and Matt on. I I know Matt has responsibilities. He had to head out. But yeah, thank you, Matt, if you're listening in. We appreciate you. And uh, Lindsay, thank you for lending us, Sean. Been a blessing. We'll see you guys very soon. We'll be back talking about this topic again, I'm sure. So uh, thank you guys for all you do. Stay humble and stay ready.